Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay. Talk Recorded live. Hello. This is the 9th of June, 2017. My name is Charles Stewart in Oregon. I'm hosting this call. And um, we've got uh, um, uh, Marvin and Shorty and David with us uh, here already talking about a case about a fellow Sam that is um, uh, suffering some persecution by the federales. And uh, our our group should be going growing here. Um uh, and and uh, we'll 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 be talking about this and other cases more as we go. Um, uh, Shorty and and David and Marvin, um, I forget where the conversation was there when we interrupted to start the recording, but uh, floor is open here. You can all uh, go ahead and discuss Sam's case further, and I think we were branching out into other cases too. Well, the main thing that I want to stress is is that I want to work on the Hebrews thirteen three page. That's uh, Remember our brothers in bonds, and I started off with Brother Allen. He was he was having a hard time, and he, he was constantly being arrested. And so I put him in there. You know, he was up there for uh, almost seventy some odd days, and he only ended up with a sixty day suspension. But because he was going to appeal it, the judge says, "Well, you have to either put up a, a forty thousand dollar appeal bond or." You got to stay in jail until we hear your appeal. Uh, Shorty, do you have a web link to your Hebrews 13 page? Yeah, it's at Facebook. It's called "Remember Our Brothers in Bonds." Okay, um, just just link uh, search um, um, uh, Hebrews 13, or uh, you can try try Hebrews 13:3, or you can try. Uh, Remember our brothers in bond. Okay. I, I'd have to pull it up real quick while we're here on the phone. Uh, well, with the chat window, um, uh, we we can pay, paste the link to what uh, we're talking about uh, when when we've got web pages like that. Yeah, reference. It's, it's called Remember Our Brothers in Bond. Okay. Uh, I'll search for that. R E M E M D E I. U R B R O T H E R S I N E N D S. Remember our brothers in bonds. There's uh, the Bundys. Yep. Yeah, I've got them up there primary right now, but. I've had Kim Davis up there from Kentucky, and I've had Alan up there. Uh, seems like I had a few more up there besides the Bundys. Uh, Shawana Cox, and you know, Shawana Cox has a $666 billion lawsuit against the federal government. <laughs> I remember that. I, that that was 
first um, uh, presented here in Oregon, and I was attending a number of the hearings in the case in the Fed trial in Oregon. On <laughs> well, bless your heart. Well, I do what I can. I'm just one guy. Um, and 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 it's they, they got their bar member lawyers involved, and and I couldn't get a conversation with with any of the people that were trying to help the Bundys because they are all starry eyed over all those fork and tongue uh, uh, lawyers that are working with them. And, and to be fair, uh, some of those lawyers did seem to do good. One of them even went to jail or, or got beat up by the guards or something like that. So so I can't really badmouth all the lawyers. Some of them are pretty good, I guess. But um, um, yeah. Anyway, I got your Facebook page here. It's coming up anyway, uh, slowly. I don't know why it's not really appearing. Um, well, but yeah, I think I found the basics. People to get involved in that page, you know what I mean? You know, that's just I. I have the same dilemma. I call it uh, 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 cyber. I have cyber interference a lot of times. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. Yeah, Andrew here from Michigan. Andrew, okay. excellent. Yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, okay, I see you uh, logged in in the chat, and we've got other people growing in the chat too. The recording's still on. Uh, uh, um, we, we've got a, a, a second case with Sam. Have you heard about the case with Sam in Kentucky, Andrew? Yes. And yeah. Well, I guess Shorty's going to be working with that, too. Okay, well, both Shorty and David Scheid are here. Um, I don't think we've had the, the three of you together in a conference here before, and um, it looks like we've got Marvin here, too, uh, working on Sam's case. So uh, uh, go ahead and interact a bit here, Andrew. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, Shorty is into it right now more than I am. I'm kind of uh, I'm going to listen in for a little while and see what I can contribute. Excellent. Yeah. Well, Andrew, well, Andrew said that in his humblest way here. Uh, this is David, and hey, Andrew, I just, you're David. always very humble in your uh, in your approach to things. You you like to listen first. I I hear that. Good to hear well, you on the line. Dave. What was that, Dave? I said it's good to hear you on the line. Oh, thank you, thank you. Um, <clears throat> How things are going with you in your case? Well, I'm I'm busy all the time. I'm I'm uh, uh, preparing something for the D.C. court, but uh, I'm going to keep that since we're on a recording right now. I'm going to keep that a little bit quiet because it's still in yeah. the works. And um, um, but you'll you'll definitely uh, you're on my email list. Right. Right. Uh, I did want to say while while we're on here real quickly that uh, uh, per uh, uh, Charles's request, I did put in a call to Ted Bisner uh, uh, of the um, Fourth Branch, who has a show on at nine o'clock, and asked him if we could combine the show from seven to nine with the nine to eleven. Uh, show that he does uh, at at nine o'clock with the fourth branch. I'm I'm co-host to that each week, and uh, he said yes. And he clarified that uh, his intent and uh, agenda was going to be to discuss the uh, uh, grand juries and the Terry Trussell case down in Florida. And uh, 
Terry Trussell, yeah. He, he yeah, wanted I to, had uh, not, you know, I was working on his case, and somehow or another, I got disconnected. And, is that right? Uh, oh, yeah. I, I well, forget. What, I, I think he had like uh, close to three to four million dollar judgment that he was trying to get against the judge that illegally locked him up. Well, he's uh, he's still. Uh, I just talked to um, um, uh, Dennis. Uh, no, not Dennis Silky. Um, Mark Schmitter down there, who um, is is uh, pretty close to that case. I don't. I invited Mark Schmitter to be on the uh, nine o'clock call. I don't know if he's going to be, but um, is that tonight? That's at nine o'clock. Yeah. And okay. I, I got. I got right now. It's a uh, quarter after six my time. Right now it's uh, Eastern Standard Time. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a quarter after seven here Eastern Standard Time. So it'd be, uh, you know, roughly an hour and forty five minutes from now. So, so what it'd we did be eight o'clock my time. Uh, is there a dispatch number I could get on that? Uh, there is, um, and in fact, I will give it, make it available to everybody here. And if you want to put it in the chat window, I'm I'm doing this by phone. Um, okay, uh, David. But 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 our plan is to just patch this call into that call, so Shorty won't have to patch up. Uh, uh, I'll worry about hanging up and dial in. He can just hang here, and we should be able to just merge two conferences, right? Just in, just in case, just in case I get disconnected for some reason, everybody gets disconnected, and so it would be helpful if everybody has the number. It uh, the separate number is two one three nine four two one three. Yeah, nine four three. Okay. Three four five one. Three. Four five one, and the uh, right. pass number is. And the uh, there is no other number. That that's uh, just a direct line in, and it's it's a it's mainly a listening number. Although he he can open up the lines for discussion. Um, I'm going to be in on that line, and he'll recognize my number for sure, and I'll have everybody else in tow with me. So, okay. um, but that's that's only you know. That's really only if, uh, if we lose contact for some reason, uh, you know, with with my with my call. Well, I'm very interested in what's going on with Terry. I I still have some paperwork that I've done for him and shared with him. I've, I was working with uh, Pro Bowl, and he's out of uh, Pensacola, Florida. Got it. I don't, I don't know if but, you know Pro Bowl, but he had some no. issues in the court. And all I could get is a voicemail from him now, and so from this point, I'm not getting any communication coming out of there. We were working on the Hogan Hansen case out of Pensacola there for a long time. Hogan ended up getting out. Hansen ended up getting some time. Then he served his time, and then he's out. Now he's filing, supposedly going to file against them on three different accounts of uh, jurisdictional uh personal jurisdiction and territorial jurisdiction and the other one was subject matter jurisdiction. Well I I've just been watching something all day today, a series of videos put out by a guy by the name of uh Ken Cousins, I believe. 
Okay. Um, that discusses uh, our need to create standing uh, through, uh, well, it's hard to summarize everything, but he basically gives a long history that supports the fact that we're at war against, um, you know, uh, and this is the subject of the fourth branch, too, uh, against uh, an entity that's basically taken us over and um, and placed us into a position where we have to create our our own standing. Uh, we have to change our standing away from what they have placed us in. And no matter what we do to make our arguments good, whether we're filing um, with you know pro se, sui juris, however we want to say it, that um, that we will not win. And I've been seeing this in my own court cases. We will not win because we haven't corrected our status. That's what it is, correcting our status. Well, the, and, the, term, the term is called people or citizen, which one are you? And the video is out there, and it's by Bill Thornton. It's called people or citizen. And after you watch that, then you'll have an understanding of what your status is. When they... Uh, uh, Right after the Civil War, they introduced the 14th Amendment to enslave us all, and it becomes the word citizen was defined in the 14th Amendment, and there's two prongs to being a citizen. First, you have to be born here or naturalized, and the second part is you have to subject yourself to their jurisdiction. And uh, the long and the short of it is is that I'm not an American citizen. I'm an American. I'm an inhabitant. I was born here. I don't need an excuse. And uh, and so when I when I enter into the court, I come as one of the people. And then my uh, opening header now comes Don Juan, one of the people, and in this court of record. And what I've done in just that one sentence, I've established my sovereignty without using the oxymoron term, sovereign citizen, because you can't be both. And so then, and in this court of record, and if you look under Black's Law Dictionary, it says court of records has the ability to find the whole contempt of court and the jail. And once you've established in that one line that you're in a court of record, then the judge is suspended and he's independent from the tribunal, and he can't make a decision for you or against you. Uh-huh. That sounds uh, good. All right, I, yeah. I, I'd like to briefly interrupt. There's there's two new callers from Kentucky. Uh, okay. Uh, I, I don't that, uh, that's, uh, um, that's know That's probably got... Samuel's son. Okay, well, I, I'd like to give him an opportunity to at least say hi, introduce themselves, Kentucky fellows. Would would you like to say hi, people calling from Kentucky? Yes, this is Noah Gerard, Samuel's son. Uh, can you can you spell your name, please? Uh, N O A H, Noah. Yeah, Noah. Yes, Shorty. Oh, I see. Yeah, I, I talked to you a couple times today. Yeah, well, I'm glad you made it. Uh, yeah. Okay, I think we had another fellow from Kentucky calling too. Can we ask who that is? 
Hi, this is Rebecca from Kentucky. Ah, do, do you have a relation to Sam also? Um, actually, yes. Well, very good. Would you like to describe that relation briefly, Rebecca? Um, well, actually, um, I learned of it um, back in, I think, right around February or so, and um, I finally um, decided to look into it. And so I, I basically drove out there and looked them up and so um, met them, and, and so it's a new friendship, but um, just to see what I can do to help them. Well, very good. My name is Shorty, and I'm going to be working with the case pretty heavy with Marvin from Indiana. I am from Missouri. And so I've, I've been trying to do paperwork and, and different things. And one thing in all of this is um, Sam did start out making claims that this, this salve, these ointments, it's all natural grown herbs and uh, um, thrown on the farm, bloodroot, comfrey, and there's two different kinds of bloodroot. His is his is very gentle, very mild stuff, and so he was making claims that it could help cure cancer. And he has testimonials of people who said it did. It's the natural thing, and I guess like exfoliation kind of thing. And so he's he's had you know testimonials to that, but the FDA supposedly it. Uh, a health department, um, a state health department official saw his product with the claims in a Amish store and um, turned it into the the, the FDA. federal yes to the FDA the federal um, division and so that that's where everything started. They've been in business about 15 years and they um, maybe 20 years even and they um, from there just started coming after them and so but nothing has ever hurt anyone and, and I just want to make that clear. Nothing no one. There's never been a single victim. There's never been a single injured party. And so that I think that's most important. it's all natural grown stuff and he's never harmed anyone in the making. And so but he did have um he had um chickweed salve and it was it was it was um and there was a tumor gone, and there were spinies. Those were the things that came up in the trial, so three main products. And chickweed was, he went from, uh, I forget the first name right at the moment, but then it went to healing chickweed to original chickweed. And so he worked with them. He's done everything to work with them. And, they w- and that's the first thing that the boys said to me when I met them was couldn't make them happy. They were never satisfied, and they kept coming back and coming back and coming back. So there was, you know, just a um, an exhaustion with we tried everything, we did everything to work with them. So I just wanted to make sure you all did know that, that he didn't try to do anything against anyone. So how old is this case with Samuel? I'm new to it, and so I'm just trying to get some input if it's okay with Charles. Yeah, yeah, Hartford, uh, uh, Shorty. I, 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 I'm going to try to unmute Hartford. He's arrived here, too. He seems to be muted. I don't know if he knows how to unmute. But, um, uh, uh, I'm, here, I'm here. I'm just oh, okay, I'm there just, we go, Hartford. I'm um, just listening. Okay, so should we leave you muted, or did, did you want to unmute here? I just unmuted. 
Okay, very good. Um, yeah, we're talking about a case with Sam that uh, in Kentucky that's that's being prosecuted by the feds. Um, uh, I guess you're picking up on that. We'll let the others um, uh, go ahead and explain the case in detail. Glad you're here, Hartford. If anybody's under attack by anybody, the first thing you do is you put a biography of, your, of what you're doing together in the form of an affidavit, and you submit it, and then they're in a position that they have to challenge it or else it stands as the truth. Yeah, yeah. We did, five, we did five affidavits. We've already got those done. So. You have to make a bio, biographical affidavit of whatever it is they're trying to come down on you for. It's called an evidentiary file in a, in a, in an affidavit form. You have to have an affidavit that's a timeline. They'll play with you unless you put down an affidavit that is a timeline type. In other words, it has to be like a diary or a, a biography. And then right. Along with that, we need to challenge them on territorial jurisdiction because they're federal. We no, wait a minute. Out. Wait a minute. Wait a minute here. You're up, if I understand, I can, I just came on, so I don't, I'm not really fully informed here. But do I understand you're talking about a business? No. Are you talking about a business? It was it was a business on his farm, but he wasn't registered as a business because he doesn't he's have it. to be re- he doesn't have to be registered on a farm. And he that was one of the things they tried to challenge him on was that Ma'am, he didn't just a register second, a drug. Look, you want some information? I'll give it to you. Okay. When you don't register a business with a corporation commission, is his is his name in his business, or is he known by his name in his business? Um, he had he had three different um, business names, and um, they were like Satterfield Naturals was one. Um, I'll call it up here. Um, Harvard doesn't need the names. He just needs to know if they, they were business names. He was apparently doing business under with no licenses. Does that sound right? Satterfield Naturals was his main name, yes. And he didn't have any licenses because he... Okay, he was operating off of his own land? Yes. Okay, they know exactly where he is then. You see the the whole issue? Just a second. The whole issue of this thing, ma'am, is commercial liability. Mm -hmm. Commercial liability. If you understand what that means, it means the courts have no jurisdiction over it if he assumes commercial liability for it. I, I went I went down to Oregon State Corporation Commission once to license a business. I walked in with my paperwork all ready to go. And the lady at the counter says, you don't have to license your business, Mr. Van Dyke. She says, you've used your full name in your business. So it's it's clear that you've accepted that's a, a sole proprietorship. Now, if he's working from his own business, uh, is he the person using this name that you had? What was the name of it? It's um. He had Satterfield Naturals. Is his name. What's his, and, what's his last name? Um, Gerard, G-I-R-O-D, and Satterfield Lane is where he lives. And Satterfield Naturals was the name of his business. And so had, you know, let me just ask the questions. Okay. So Satterfield is the name of the lane he lives on. Yes. Okay. 
And he's no, and uh, the product is coming directly from his land. Directly from his land, yes. Okay, then he then as far as the commercial world is concerned, his his name, his location, and his accessibility as a commercial person in business is all well identified. Okay. And if that's the case, he does not have to be licensed. Okay. Yes. Because he, this, lady, this, this, lady, this lady at the... What? He's presently in jail. He may be in jail, but there's ways to get him out because he has a right to be running his business. Right, right. Yes, it's a God-given right. And not only that, he doesn't have a contract with the FDA or anyone else. He doesn't have to have it with him. He's doing business at a location. As this lady told me, she says, your name is... Tell the name that I had in my was going to was going to license or register. She said you don't have to because your full name is in your business. Well, that's, that's it. now that that's, now just listen. That establishes a position of accountability, commercial accountability. If you have a body shop for a car and it says John's Body Shop, that's not considered a that is not considered a. Uh, sole proprietorship is considered an assumed business name, John's Body Shop, because it doesn't define who John is. It doesn't tell you where to go to find a person if you have to collect a bill, because the body shop and the bill department could be in two different places. See, when it's all located in one place and it all centers around one person and his, and his property, and he's easily locatable, and his, uh, he puts his, the name of his product out in a certain way from that address, he basically has a trademark. He doesn't even have to register the trademark because he's well-established. People know where he is. They know how to get a hold of him. Furthermore, he has a telephone at that address. So does uh, that give them authority to interfere with him considering he doesn't have a contract with him? Does that give them authority to interfere with him? No, even, even if he had a, no, wait a minute. Even if he had a contract with him, it has nothing to do with interfering with him. Okay, but yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm looking at a man in jail. You may be looking at a man in jail, and as long as you look at the problem, you'll never get the solution. Oh, I, I, well, okay. I, I, you have I to have be, a couple of avenues of, uh, uh, you have, of sir, sir. You have to be solution-oriented or you lose your hat in this business. You have to be what? Solution-oriented, not problem-oriented. He's, he's not supposed to be in jail. His issue, you have to learn to look at well, the game. Well, I understand that. You have, to learn to look at, you have to learn to look at the game board and see what's available to you. He's operating in commerce, which means the courts have no jurisdiction over him in the first place unless he gives them jurisdiction. They can't put him in a court that's got a judge only because that's an equity court. And he has well, to let, give his... What? Let me share an example with you. I do auto repairs by trade. I yep. do what they call a stranded motors ministry. It's a ministry. I've had three encounters with the local authorities. And each time... I come back with the same answer. I don't want to go commercial. I want to stay a ministry. I'm a charity. I work with a lot of churches. 
the last time I had an encounter with them, I let them know I was coming after their paycheck. It's been well over a year and a half. They they will not come back anymore. Okay, that's Nor, good for you. You're a minister, right? Well, uh, yeah. Right. Okay, now, now I want to ask you some questions. Is this man registered as a minister? No, that's not... You, you, you're missing the whole idea of what I'm trying to say. Okay. Now, yes. what, now, what I'm saying is, is I've found a way to develop precautions, safety precautions around what I do and when I do it. Also, I've taken the time in the last four years to spend three to five hours a day on organic law, common law, and courts of record. Okay. I've taken that time to study that there and understand the processes in order to be able to do things the way that I've done it. I've been thrown in federal court, RICO, racketeering, wire fraud, mail fraud, breach of contract. There was 30 of us that got sued all at the same time. I was one of the first few that got thrown out. This case went from one document, which is 350 pages long, to over 1,300 entries into it. And I put two documents in there, and I was out of there. Surety. That's good. Yes. You're providing good background there, but I think we need to defer to Hartford to to try to provide remedy not only in in um, Sam's case, but we got a number of cases. Andrew's on the conference, and a number sure. of others. Sure, but I I just want well, to. Well, if, if he's if he's versed in this stuff, that's great. That's great, and I hope his his system is can be used there. But I'm just telling you some of the fundamental elements that have to do with opening and shutting doors. Well, here's what I'm a big fan of. I'm a big fan of one, two, three, A, B, C, D. You know, and right, I try simple. to do I try to do things in written form. And every time I have an answer to resolve something, I'll make sure that it gets in written form instead of having a long drawn out conversation about it. I'll say I have something to offer, and then boom. Just like Samuel's sons today, uh, they got a hold of me. We talked. I talked uh, about a couple other people that are involved and wanting to be a part of the process, and I sent them three legal videos to show them this is what uh, this is the where we're going to go with this. So they have a mindset and an understanding of it. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I, I'm just a big fan of the one, two, three, ABC thing, you know. And if you got something you want to share, I'd be glad to research it because that's all I do is research it. Yeah. That's great. Charles has my email address, and if you got some stuff you would like to send us, I'd be glad to review it. And I, I will review it. Yeah, um, that's good. Um. I, I have, uh, for reference, I don't think I've informed Hartford about this, but under my main webpage of constitutionalgov.us, I've set up um, uh, a, a, a repository of all of the files that I could find that are related to Hartford's work. It's got uh, his Community Currencies book, and it's Right to Keep and Bear Lean's book, and uh, a, a number of audio recordings. Um, and I just posted the web link in the talk sheet shot. <laughs> Um, so, so folks can look at all of Hartford's files, basically that I've got available anyway. Most of them on the web are, are all right there. Um, 
And um, uh, we, we also had the case of Andrew and Shorty uh, and David Scheid are also Hartford. Um, uh, Shorty and David Scheid are also working with the case of Andrew. And uh, I see Andrew got jumped off for a while, but he called back in. Maybe we can touch briefly on Andrew's case again, like we opened up last week with Andrew. Uh, there might be some developments there. Uh, Andrew? Yeah, yeah, there, there has been. Um, <clears throat> this is the third time I was in court, and uh, <clears throat> it was again um, uh, terminated by an alleged motion for summary disposition that never existed. And um, <clears throat> so the court completely ignored. Uh, all the issues of law, any issue that there may be a contract that's in place. Just a second here. Just a second. What kind of a court were you in? Was it a jury jury court? Uh, no, I uh, I was. What kind of court was that. it? Judge only this, court. It was an. I I went into a, my, I asked my, a question. My, an Article Three court. I didn't ask whether it was articles. Court. I didn't ask whether it was an Article Three court. I asked, was you asked it, me what was kind it? of court I was in. He was yes. in a common law court. Common law court. Hartford asked this question last time. We had a problem here last time. It was a judge-only court with the way they, the de facto's had it configured anyway, right? I just want to know what kind of court it was. Was it a judge-only court or was there a jury present? A judge there was only. no jury. It was a judge-only court. The, it was the a judge-only court. Anyway. If it's a judge-only court, consult your your uh, codes of reference of the state, whatever it is. You'll find in an equity court, which is a judge-only court, they have to have your written consent to be taken into that court. There's no exception to it. That's correct. That's correct. I, so, I if, so if you're put in that court, you say, I have not consented to this court in writing under my own name and signature, and therefore this court has no jurisdiction over me. Uh, I agree. But the thing is, in this case, I'm not a defendant. I was trying to get something resolved, and I'm petitioning this this particular for event for uh, myself over against claims from the township. The township has been sending me tax bills. Uh, not even they're, they're alleged tax bills. They don't. They're not even. Um, they don't. They're not consistent to bills of exchange. There's no signature. It's a I don't understand what you're talking about. I, I'd have to have more. I don't even understand the case you got. Okay, well that's that's why I'm I'm looking at uh, in my paperwork. I was requesting uh, under Michigan court rules uh, a jury trial, and he completely uh, you know circumvented that whole concept. And um, by and how? Just, how did he circumvent it? He, he just um, moved on. He didn't want to address it. And when I started holding him, no, wait I was trying to hold him. Hold them accountable to what the law said say regarding the court's jurisdiction. He then got to the point where he didn't want to hear anymore, and he says, uh, "I don't want to hear any more from you." He says, um, "I'll hold you in contempt if you say one more word." Okay, well there it's just right there that he's denying you due process of law. You file criminal. Absolutely. You file criminal. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That's where we're headed. Yep. Well, here here's what's going on with Andrew. The judge told the clerk. That he's not allowed to file any more stuff right. until he pays a fifteen hundred dollar penalty. Yeah. They want fifteen hundred dollars. See, the lawyer, the lawyer initially tried to change the courts from a common law court 
to the uh, circuit court, the superior circuit court of that county. And we filed back in there and said we don't agree, don't don't consent to, and such yep. and so forth, and then uh, uh, planned on moving forward as if we were in a common law court of records. When he got there, the judge just basically said, all this is gibberish, and I don't want to hear any more. If I hear any more, I'm going to hold you contempt of court and have you jailed. And if you file anything more, I'm going to hold you contempt of court and jail you. Now, this is what the judge has said. Right. He says, until you pay the, uh, the, the bill, the sanctions, I can't file anything more in court on that case. But, again... That's not so. To me, that's not an issue right now. It's it's going to go to criminal action against them. Um, the sanctions I'm not concerned with at all. This is the second. This is the third case I've been involved with on the same concept, on the same principles. This is why the attorney is trying to make an excuse to sanction me because all the issues are the same. And the last two times, besides the, before this one, uh, motion for summary disposition was granted to the to the attorney. So we went through the same procedure here. You know, although that the motion for summary disposition was granted to the attorney, there was none in the court case present at the time we went to court right. when the judge made that decision. And we've, right. yet to re- and we've yet to receive a written order from the judge yet. And we plan on going to the clerk's office tomorrow to look at the uh, uh, docket sheet to see what's actually in the file. Plus, we're going to look at three to five of the main documents and see if it's stamped, filed on there with a date. Because when they stamped his papers to send him out the door saying that they filed them, they just stamped it with a stamp that said true copy and not filed. And so we're going to verify the, 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 the filing and what is actually in the case. And now we're filing and putting a notice to the sheriff of a missed prison, and so we're coming after the judge to have the sheriff to arrest the judge for what he's doing. Right. And if that doesn't work, uh, I, I would think that the option would be going to the Supreme Court, I suppose, um, and uh, with criminal charges in place. So that's maybe on the outside a possibility that may exist yet. That I, I, I'm not sure about what, what the measures have to be taken to get there. The, the notice that we're filing with the sheriff is first going to go down to the county record, and then it's going to be recorded first. And we're going to take four or five copies to make sure that we have plenty around, one for the recorder, one for the sheriff, and a couple for our own benefit to have in the background. And yeah. And then it's not one of those deals where the sheriff can sweep it under the rug because... It's already been noticed, and it's down there, and we have additional copies saying this notice. We're we're just tired of people sweeping this thing under the rug. And so now the sheriff is going to have an opportunity to stand up and go down there after the judge, and he's got one or two options. He's either going to arrest him, bring him in, and then we're going to have a trial over it, or he's going to tell him that he's got to do the right thing and he's got to apply the law that's in the case. And if he does do that, then that means that we can move forward on being getting a settlement from the uh, city. Right. Well, um, 
where that goes from here, I I don't know. This is new territory for me. So um, <clears throat> we'll just keep turning over every rock we got. She was under it. Um, it might be good to uh, shift the focus back over to Sam's case. There's a number of new people that haven't been on the last call, like with Andrew's case. Um, uh, does that meet with your approval, Hartford? You, you people, just go ahead and do what you're going to do. I'll listen. Okay. Um, well, Chuck gets one lady. She was talking, and uh, she had some good insight on it, and I'm a little short on the insight, so if we could put her back over the mic and let her speak, I'd appreciate that. Rebecca, you there still? Yes, I am. Um, do you... Uh, do you have any focal points that you think would be good to draw out, or should we ask the other fellows for more details if, if they've got specific questions? Um, well, the, the big thing that I wanted to make sure everyone did know is that, um, and I know you guys know and I know you're looking at everything, but um, Samuel was arrested um, on his lane um, right in front of his house um, on the way back from uh, uh, the grocery store, they were having a picnic um, later that day, and um, he he has never tried to run. They've, they've brought all these charges and everything. He's never tried to run. They know right where he's at, and he is an innocent man facing federal prison, and so this, this to me is so shocking and just abhorrent, and so he hasn't never harmed anyone. The case, somebody had asked the case started about five years ago was when all this really started to come down. They confiscated his products from the Amish stores and made Samuel pay to dispose of them. Um, they they basically stole his stuff. They came and um, they took pictures of everything. They had it analyzed. So there may be the possibility, because these are natural products, that um, FDA wants them to market themselves or something. I mean, they look extensively at things grown on the farm, herbs, nat weeds, grass. Some of it grows naturally just by itself without planting it. And so um, they have came in and just, you know, looked at everything, took everything and confiscated his products. And they never confiscated anything right from his land, never took anything from the farm, and they, um, they, the one day that they came out for an inspection when they took pictures, Sam called them and told them, I'm making um, products today. You're welcome to come out and watch. So all along he did everything that he could do, and then he did deny a search uh, uh, later on because they, they, the visit before there was the understanding, no pictures. And so when they came back the second time, he did deny a search. He said, everything's the same as it was last time. There's nothing changed. No, you cannot do the search. And so we did do five affidavits. We did a timeline. We got all of that notarized. And so, you know, we're doing everything as far as we know to do, as far as, you know, as, as we know what, you know, in this whole process. And um, some of us aren't as up on the courts and what's happening and all of that and how all that works. But um, one thing led to another to another, and they just kept coming after him until they got him in these charges. These, you know, the one point um, he thought he was he didn't have to go to a hearing. He had his court had appealed 
to the next court, and they didn't write it the same way. So the whole thing has been trickery, and also, um, you know, just the whole thing is frightening to all of us here, and we don't always understand everything, but we're, we're, one thing about this is this man is not a criminal. He's not a criminal at all in any way, shape, or form. So that's where, you know, I'm kind of looking at all this and trying to understand the court process and listening to all of you guys. So, Rebecca, this is Shorty. Uh, I think that uh, you'd be a good asset to what I'm planning on doing in, in Samuel's case, and I'd like to uh, get connected with you because you, you have pertinent information that would be important to his defense. And, uh, you know, I'm a little bit behind the eight ball. I don't have a whole lot of anything except for stuff that worked, that didn't work, that's already been in the court. And so if we could connect together, uh, I, I really would appreciate it. I'm working with Marvin now, and he's out of Indiana. And Marvin's the one that's been doing some legwork for me. But it seems like that uh, you have quite a bit of knowledge uh, about what's been going on, and so if I can connect with you, I'd uh, I'd really appreciate it. You know. Well, mostly we're the the next big thing is is we're having rallies, and it's time for his sentencing date, June the thirtieth, and that's where we need people to come and support us and be there and get involved well, in this. You know, local you know, I, I'm not against you know you know, the rallying and do this, that, and the other, but where the rubber meets the road is is what you put in the paperwork and the courts. And and that's and, where and it's... This is, this is one big question I have right now, okay, then, since you brought that up. We are at sentencing. We're already past being indicted. I, I, it, so, I, so, you know, that's... I know, I, I, know where, I know where we're at in the case, and it's real late for me to be involved in it, but uh, between me and others that would be interested, we can share the do's and don'ts and and what needs to be done right now. You know, there's never a point to stop fighting. You know, I mean, we may be to a point where they've done something, but you know what? We can turn this around. I really believe so, you know. Hey, Shorty. Not, yes. Yeah, may I say something? Um, in, in regards to the, the, the sentencing, um, <clears throat> there isn't any point at, in, in a trial, either post or pre, that you can't um, challenge jurisdiction. And one of the things that I sense is he's going to be standing there. I think uh, the sites that I, uh, I gave you out of Title 28, 636, and then also yeah. 1604, those two things, if he could memorize just the shortest part of those, because he has a right not to consent uh, without adverse substantive consequences, and he also has, under 14, um, 1604, he has a right not to waive immunity. Now, immunity is a dynamic word in itself, and so if he can sure. uh, speak to that, uh, voice it on the record, voice it out there, because he can't give us a consent. He's, he's got to continually state, I don't care what comes out of the judge's mouth, I don't consent. Because the last person who speaks um, is is the one who hasn't left left the battlefield yet. That's uh, right. You don't, 
can, can, this is Donaldson, can I jump in here and say something about this? Yeah. If in the pleadings against this person who was with the raw food, right? Yeah. If if the if the state did not or the federal government did not actually state the jurisdiction, it, then they don't have subject jurisdiction because they 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 no. they fail to sufficiently plead. You can yeah. actually you know come back on those grounds. Well, right yeah, now. there's no damaged party. Where is the damaged if party? Yeah. Well, not just that, but I mean just. Aside from the fact, right, we need to talk about the due process. Yeah, absolutely, right. But that's but, uh, I know he's going he's to have to uh, make a very forceful statement and, and continually make that, um, reiterate it, because I, I think um, if you go to 1604 uh, under uh, uh, Sovereign Immunity Act, uh, I'll tell you what, we are not part of their organization, and that particular site, uh, speaks very boldly to the fact that we are foreign states. And I had a judge uh, call me up on it because I, I use that as my out. I said, I have a right not to waive immunity. And I talked a while. Then he stops me. And he said, well, Mr. Hall, he says, uh, that site has to do with states. And I said, of course. I says, it does. I says, uh, regarding a state, I says, I more than qualify. And that's what we are. In international law, persons are known as states. Um, and if we, we've got to rethink on how we present, present ourselves, and we have their own codes to protect us with. They, they hold them accountable to their codes and say, I, I, will not, I don't waive immunity from these guys. And those are the things that I think you're going to have to plaster all over the place because uh, on any kind of an appeal from here on in, uh, that's going to have to be paramount. But yeah. anyway, I, I, I think <clears throat> that issue has got to really be blatantly presented without any apologies. So, Well, Rebecca, you can get my contact number from uh, uh, Samuel's son. They have my number. And so if if you want to try to make something happen early in the mornings or in the evenings or sometimes in the afternoons are available, you just call and I'll try to set aside whatever time I can to be involved in uh, in, uh, making something happen here. I know we only have a little bit of time left, but we need to work, you know. And so you could be a part of the process by helping me and anyone else that wants, you know, who wants to get involved that's on this conference call can either get a hold of Charles or, or someone and get my number and then call, and then we can discuss stuff if you're wanting to work and be a part of the process and help, you know, be a part of the email contest. And what we do is we just email the information, and we look for people to give us feedback, this, especially the legal scholars, you know, like Charles and himself and Andrew and I and, and others, you know. And then there are others that are on here that are, are very well versed in this stuff, and so it would be good to pass that on to them, too, if they want to be involved. Yeah. You know, uh, you know our, best, our best thing is like what uh, me and Andrew do. We do the ABC, the one, two, three thing, you know. And so when I say that, I mean that every time that we are doing something together, we share back and forth, and it's all in written form. 
although that we do discuss it a little bit, but the main meat is always there. And then we talk about the main points amongst the documents that we're getting ready to present, which is very good, you know. Uh, it, it, it's it's not easy being, being a, a part of a team sometimes because there will be people that get in here that have ideals and their ideals may not work the way that we're working, and so then that becomes another scenario, you know. Uh, but I'm not opposed to reading or hearing other people's ideals, and I think other people's ideals gives us a new spin on it. And so from that, we can make a, a good just call and then uh, get in there and fight this the way that we have been up there in Michigan. Uh, Shorty, I'd like to, I'd like to, um, I, I got some things I've written that maybe I'll get it down to a one page or a half a page or whatever that maybe um, you can uh, send along to uh, Samuel and um, have him um, just get very familiar with the simplest uh, defense out of those two sites that I think offers us as um, being part of, being part of the man and not of the artificial legal entity. So Well sure. Well, uh, you know, then you know, again, you'll be passing that on to me. When you pass yeah. it on to me, then I'm gonna be passing it on to other team players and eventually, you know, we're gonna have our own little uh, uh Yahoo group where we can talk and discuss all this stuff. I think I still have some that are out there and then I can reopen up where we can establish this, all right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, this is Dodd Rod. Uh, my dad has his um, certificate of live birth, and the go ahead. That's that noise there. So oh. somebody's clattering something. Please mute out. Go, go ahead, uh, Ahmed. There. Yeah, if he's got that live birth, if he's got that certificate of live birth. Yeah, uh, I think at the his last the last opportunity before sentencing, he's gonna. I think he's gonna have some opportunity to speak, and that is when he has to uh, definitively identify who he is, and that, that um, certificate of live birth and will show you know proves that he's not the corporate entity that was um, sentenced. Found, uh, that's indict indicted. Or but it's like what you were saying that he has to study would go with the certificate of live birth. I have, yeah, I have, uh, I have two sites that I, I feel is is really powerful. I've seen it. I've been in court with it. I because I used it. I went to three status hearings because the court could not satisfy that they had the right person in front of them. And I know that works. I know it works. I've seen the judge turn his head and um, decide to try something different. Well, can, you, you, can you get us that information? Yeah, absolutely. That's what I'm going to pass on to Shorty. Shorty I gave Shorty about a 13, 14-pager I wrote, but I want, to, I want to cut it down to just one page and um, make simplify. it... Um, simplify. Simplify it, right. Simplify it, right. And... Um, Give him something that he can really chew on. And with that live birth issue he's got, the status he's got there, 
it identifies him as not part of that legal entity that appears on the paperwork. Exactly. I'd like to say Yeah, you're not. We are not that legal entity, and we have to maintain that distinction. And that's why I don't, like I say, Title Twenty Eight, Six Thirty Six. You know, I do not consent to these proceedings. And with that in place, it says in that same site, it says (laughs) without adverse substantive consequences. Sir, you can't. You you don't have the authority to adjudicate this matter adversely against me by your own rules. What's the issue? Well, I, I at the beginning of that. What's the charge? What's the court case about? The court case is about him making ointments and salves without their approval, the FDA. Was anything in there deemed to be harmful to the public? Well, Was anything uh, in- well, that's what that, that's what we're going to try to determine through the input from Rebecca. Rebecca is going to try to to uh, uh, communicate with me over the weekend, and we should have uh, a better update on what needs to be done. You know, there's a lot okay. to be covered, covered here I'm tonight. I'm very familiar with this. I'm very familiar with this, and just so you know, if the FDA, which is in charge to protect the public, uh, trademark prescription drugs and whatever, if they cannot find anything in there that was a trademark uh, by another company harmful to the public, then that's what they're that's their jurisdiction, and if they can't find okay. that, they, they have have jurisdiction. To, well, okay, it has I would have to do to. with the legal name, the birth certificate, nothing like that. That's all uh, a rabbit trail, so you know. And the high okay, Wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, the FDA is uh, comes from, by an act of Congress. An act of Congress is restricted to D.C. and territories. It only operates outside within the states of of the uh, union by our permission. No way, no way. Congress, Congress doesn't have broad authorizing authority over the citizen in any particular state. No way. Anywhere there's food, sir. Anywhere there's food and drugs for people. Nope, nope. Uh-uh. Your That's your own state, your own state authority supersedes the federal. And when you go into federal jurisdiction, it'll tell you that their jurisdiction is only over the island states. Washington D.C. and the island states, not okay. the state republics. Yeah, I, see. I see your uh, discrepancy. Uh, uh, the place where this is happening is there a state food and drug administration? I have no idea. I have no idea. Okay. The federal government the does not have jurisdiction, jurisdiction there. Well, well, I think what Andrew is talking. I think what Andrew is talking about is territorial jurisdiction. That's right. It has no territorial jurisdiction there. Well, well, you believe it. You believe it. You believe it. But it's clearly public law for food and drugs, sir. So anywhere there's food and drugs, they do have right. Jurisdiction. But, but there's, if you there's can prove- no drugs. There, oh, there's, yeah. there's no drugs, no poisons, nothing like that in it. It's still a state issue. It's not a federal issue. All I know is acts of Congress are restricted to D.C. and territories. I'm going to mute it. Hey, Roddy, this is more Patriot 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 stuff, and uh, you're going to jail. No, no way. I use this uh, in the court, and uh, I was ready to walk. No way. No, is that Roddy that's uh, saying people are going to go to jail? 
Yeah, for trying those theories, yeah. That, that's not just... That's not a theory. No, 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 no. A theory is something you maybe have not experienced. All right? If, if there's I, a case in the food and drugs, sir, that transcend jurisdiction, that's jurisdiction. If the product being made doesn't have those products, that's the jurisdiction, or lack thereof. Well, all I know is, again, the federal government operates through acts of Congress. Acts of Congress are restricted to D.C. and territories. Let me help you, sir. Hey, Roddy. Roddy, this is Donaldson. Roddy, this is Donaldson. They have to prove not only subject matter jurisdiction, but also personal. And I think the guy is... Right. I think that the guy... There's it's claiming that three. he's got them on the fact that they don't have personal jurisdiction. No. And not only that, they don't have jurisdiction. So your argument about saying they, that they actually have subject matter jurisdiction is correct, and he's willing to concede on that argument with you for the base, you know, just to save face, I think, you know? Mm. No. No. I, I think what we've done is we have allowed the federal to erode our state authority, and only because we don't know, we don't hold them accountable, we don't hold them accountable to the Constitution, and this is why the Constitution somewhat gets a black eye, because it's so old, who wants to use it? But I think if we don't sharpen our, 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 our armor up a little bit, that Constitution maintains a, a, the collateral, identifies the, the realms of um, authority, and um, it's, it's pretty basic. You might be correct. Uh, I apologize. Let me ask you a question on this. Is subject matter jurisdiction food and drugs, but personal jurisdiction will be the actual proven that there was something in there that granted in personal jurisdiction? How does that work? Yeah. Um, uh, let's see here. No, personal, personal jurisdiction would have to be <laughs> over the person. The person is a, a person, by definition, is an aggregate of property. That's how they define person. I have a person, which is my name, upper and lower case. They created an artificial person, all caps. And that was that was to facilitate the security, security interest over the bankruptcy. No way. If we don't hold them accountable to the limits of where they're supposed to be held to, it's, it's no wonder we got egg in our face. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to... I'm looking for a, a document that I'd like to speak from, but I don't. Just give me. Go ahead, uh, Shorty. Go ahead and take over a bit. I got a thanks for something. Hey, Roddy. To, to your your. Uh, do you mind if I jump in and real quick, everyone? Sure, Carl. Sure. Uh, because the thing about it is, with this personal jurisdiction thing, they may have subject matter jurisdiction, and you know what? It's it would it would actually be very cool to see an acceptance of that in the writings, in the paperwork, say, hey, okay, we accept that you have this, you know, yada, yada, but they haven't put personal jurisdiction on the record. There's no minimum contact with the state, and therefore the, the, the authority for the government, the federal government to administer for the general welfare doesn't apply yeah. in, this, in, in this situation. The common law binds the government in this situation from actually enforcing general welfare, unless they can bring in uh, victims, meaning okay. U.S. citizens. I the, hear, I, I, I wanna, yeah, go ahead. I, I, listen, I've got the whole list. I've got 50 titles in front of me. 
And you you can find them in a hard copy of like Title 18, title, uh, all the titles. A hard copy will have a whole list of all the codes. Food and Drugs comes out of Title 21. Title 21 is not called positive law. It's called it's actually called perma facie law of the United States. It's not positive law. It had the foundation of food and drugs is an illusion. Do you know why it's not positive law? It's not positive law. But why though? Do you know why? Uh, It was never it was never fully passed by Congress. Uh, let me correct you. It was passed by Congress, but it was never actually checked by the United States Code Service to actually be authentic and true law. Uh, basically, and ev- in other words, the USCS is a different set of books than the USCA, the United States Code Annotated. And, yeah, uh, and it's not a law. Right. So therefore, if you if you don't see 21 in the black set, then it's probably not positive law. It's not, it isn't positive law. In, this, in my index here, it says it's not. It's perma facie. That's what's up. That's so, so the foundation of the argument would go right back to the origin of their authority. They don't have authority. Right. Congress didn't give it to them. In other words, they weren't codified. No. And if you go to the same list of titles, t- Congress comes out of Title II. Title II is not positive law either. So the whole thing is an illusion. Even Congress passed these bills. Congress doesn't pass laws. They pass bills. And it only becomes law after 90 days. Well, that's, that's, uh, that's uh, UCC law, period. It becomes law because you agreed. Not because it has force of law. It's prima facie law. So these are the things that if we want to develop a defense... Um, I think you got to start from the bottom up and just um, take issue with everything that's an illusion and all it is. Food and drugs, this comes out of Title 21. It's just like Title 26. Title 26 is not positive law. Anyway, I think if we can uh, get our heads together and formulate some sort of defense, but I think his last opportunity at the sentencing is going to he's going to have a time to speak and he has to be very firm i do not consent i do not waive immunity that has got to be something out of his mouth continually well we'll just get it going uh you know that after we uh uh you know after this weekend i'll talk to rebecca and marvin a little bit more get yeah. some input from you what's all the input is there then <coughs> We'll establish a point of attack because the time is getting very near to where we got to deal with this here. And I think yeah. Rebecca, Rebecca, are you still on? Yes, I am. Do you have uh, the means to be able to go up there and visit him at 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 the jail? Um, not at this time. Um, I've already talked about that. It's just not something I need to do at this time, but um, we were looking at for later, maybe, if I need to. Okay. Well, well, the thing of it is, is I'd like to present whatever defense we can have together for him to get it together over the weekend, no later than Tuesday, have something prepared that I could uh, email you through uh, contacts, and you can get a hold of Noah 
Noah and them, and then get my phone number, and then you can call me, and uh, and then we'll go from there. Uh, We'll we'll stay communicated, and, uh, you know, we'll go over some stuff. And then uh, as I get the uh, paperwork together in my hand and everyone's reviewed it and all agree, have the same consensus on it, then we can uh, move forward and put it in your hand, and then you can make sure that he gets it, and we'll make sure that it'll be in plain English for him to read. You know, not none of this uh, legal jargon that he doesn't understand anything. Right. You could just send that to to the email address I gave you today, and we could get it to Dad. Okay. Sure. Sure. Okay. Yeah, I got that. I got that. Did you get it? Did you get a chance? Did you get a chance to look at? Hey, can I ask a quick question, you guys? Did John let Shirley finish his sentence? All right. We can can wait until after Shirley's talking. More graceful. Please be a bit more graceful when you interrupt, Shirley. Uh, Okay. uh, Noah, did you get a chance to look at the videos I sent you today? I didn't. Not yet. Okay. And so. Do you have a timeline when you're going to be reviewing them? I hope. Do you have a, what's that? I hope to tomorrow sometime. Okay. Well, you know, hope doesn't mean that you're going to do it. That just means that there may be a potential. And, you know, your father's life is at jeopardy, and so I want you to have an understanding, you know, right off the get-go, you know, coming out of the gate. Uh, you know, a little bit about my approach on it and others, you know. I mean, there there are a lot of people that view the videos and they say, aha, uh-huh, you know, and so then, they're, then, they, then they have an understanding uh, of the power that we have as individuals in the courts, you know, and that's where I want you to be. You know, I, I don't want you to be stuck like you were with this other fellow that did a bunch of paperwork and now where are you at? You know, you're, you're at sentencing, and it's just a matter of days, you know. And usually when people get a hold of me, it's 11 o'clock, you know. It's at the last hour, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, now I'm going to have to back up and punt and try to do what I can. Hopefully with Rebecca, I can get some input and Marvin. And then this weekend, we can have something ready to go. And then by Tuesday, you know, I hope to have a couple sticks of dynamite to put in your hand that you can give your dad, you know. Uh, with the certificate of live birth, do we need to get that filed into a court? Well, if there's anything that needs to be filed, I'll make sure that you know of it. You know what I mean? In other not, words, one, once, once you... Filing it to have proof that he that he owns it. Oh, well, I, well, I'll lay out all the groundworks, the ABCs, the one, two, threes on everything that needs to be done. And it won't be that difficult to uh, address what we put together, okay? Okay. Uh, except for except for the some little thing that when you respond to allegations, whether in pleading or in oral form, you come in and make a general appearance. You actually automatically give jurisdiction, personal jurisdiction, to the other side because you've responded. Any type of response is actually giving that. I have evidence of that. I can, I, I mean, I can show you in the law where it states that, is what I'm saying. Yeah, I know and, that. I know it. Yeah. Yep. So we, that's my question is, has any party 
uh, with an interest in, you know, um, as 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 the defendant uh, made a general appearance. And in the in the chat window, uh, has Sam entered a plea yet? Has there been a plea entered by Sam? Well, at, at, this, at, at this point, I'm waiting on the feedback from Rebecca to be able to give a better understanding of some of the stuff that she has. It's not good to say out public, you know, at this point, because we're still on behind the eight ball over this. You know, there may be things that we can discuss, which is okay, but right now there may be some stuff in behind the scene that don't need to be said at all at this point, you know. And so, you know, uh, by next week, we'll probably have more more information that would be available on this case, you know. The question was asked. I don't hear anybody answering it, though. Okay. Did, did he make a plea? Did he make a plea? Rebecca. Rebecca? Rebecca. Are you still... Rebecca, are you still here? Um, Noah, Noah, are you still here? Yeah. Both of the Kentucky lines are open, but um, apparently they're not responding. Yes, I'm still here. Yep. What's your? Did your dad enter a plea of not no. guilty? Guilty? He pleaded not guilty. He pleaded not guilty. Does that answer? General. Well, yeah, because you know what? What happened right there was a general appearance. He responded. Yeah. Okay, and okay. and actually, if you a response to a complaint forfeits any objection to defective service or jurisdiction, and there's case law to support that. Okay, so there, what what has to happen is you need to go in and reverse plea. You have to somehow you know file a motion to uh, take back the plea and then actually um, challenge the jurisdiction on the well, grounds of lack of subject matter. Well, yeah, you, you, you might make okay. that plea a plea of innocent. The, yeah, uh, the defendant can't, can't make a plea of innocent, but the man can. Well, in, in that case, then over the weekend, as things progress, one is Andrew... Uh, have an insight, and I'm sure me and him will be on communication. The other fella, I don't have his name, but if you would uh, get a hold of Charles, you can get a hold of my contact info, and that you can uh, you can communicate with me over the weekend, and I will give you an email address. And if you have a boilerplate type of uh, document that you think mm-hmm. might be handy, I would be willing to look it over. And then cool. I will pass it around, you know. Yeah, Charles, let's get together and do that to get, you know, I I want to do that and help you out, but I want Charles to be there with me the whole way, if that's cool. Sure, I, that that's fine. You know, the thing of it is, is we're looking for team players to be part of it. I kind of want to be central with it. I, you know, I know most of the guys that are on the on the program tonight. I've invited Marvin to be here. And and then Rebecca came in, and then Noah, his son, and such and so forth. And I'm I'm trying to work in a group and try to correlate everything that needs to be correlated. And so any good input, man, 
I'll just eat it up, you know. Yeah. I have the weekend, and, you know. And Sunday is a ministry day for me, and so I try to receive and do a lot of stuff, look over the documents, start working on them, and, and things of that nature, you know. Hopefully right. I'll have something together by Tuesday, and then I can just pass it on to uh, Samuel's sons here, and uh, it'll all be, you know, uh, and play in English that he can understand it. And he could do a conference call or whatever, you know, with me and and such. Well, that's great. Yeah, thanks, Charles, for letting me give me a little input about making a general appearance, uh, you know, uh, or participating in the action in a manner that recognizes the court's jurisdiction before you file your motion to quash. Because you really think about what I just said. If anyone's trying to dismiss the action, right, from your side and file a motion to dismiss, you should well, have challenged personal jurisdiction that, first. Then, well, well you know, that, okay. By not the, making the main, a general the, appearance. The main thing is is that you have input. If you could put together something that's A, B, C, one, two, three, you know, and then attach some documents with that there, get get oh. my contact info from Charles and then and then be able to forward that to me, then I can look at your outline. I mean, we're talking right. now, you think in thirty minutes from now I'm going to be having other people calling me, talking to me about various things. I so my you. mind's going to be all over the place. And so, okay. again, like I was telling uh, uh, Hartford, you know, I, I'm good at the one, two, three ABC stuff. And once I get it formatted or I get a format from someone else, then I can save it and then share it with others, you know? Exactly. That, well, yeah, that, but you got this specific situation right now, right, sir? Is that correct? You have a gentleman yeah, right, in... Right, 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 right. So let's deal with that, and then you can pass on if it works. Great. You know, if not, we got to, you know, find another remedy. Well, but right. I'm, I'm going to help you out, Charles. Let me know if uh, you're, you know, you contact me via maybe what, like, uh, what, Facebook or I don't know, what? how do you, you know, I think I have you, you have my email? Charles? I've got your email. Son of Donald. All right. Second son of Donald. Yep. Yeah. Okay. If you're interested in helping, let me help out. Give me an email, okay? Yeah, we'll send, do. My, send me my contact number, Charles. Okay. And I posted Shorty's contact uh, email and phone number in, in the chat window here, Shorty and Don Legalese. Okay. Well, Great. good. Hopefully, Hartford can get it, too, and then I can get some insight from him. He seems to be very knowledgeable in a lot of areas. And, uh, you know, all I can be is excited because the group is growing and there's more people that are legally minded, you know. Yeah, yeah, we've got a, a, a number of talented legal scholars here, and I'm really glad for that. But that does kind of uh, decrease the opportunity for our scholars to, to have phone time. And uh, I'm a little bit concerned that, that Hartford isn't feeling shouted out by all the other good talent talent that's showing up here, too. Um, Hartford's presently muted. I guess that's Hartford's perspective there. Um, um, but I would like to ask on, on Sam's case to clarify a bit more. See, we can do a whole lot just in the conference here. So so our main activists on the front lines, like Shorty and stuff, that's putting it all together, he can just do plug and play, one, two, three, ABC, like he says. 
Um, and, and another thing, well, one of the things that I'd like to know is, is w- w- apparently with the sentencing hearing coming up at the end of this month, um, apparently there's already been sent some form of a trial. I'd like to know if that was a full 12-person unanimous jury verdict trial or if that was just a single judge railroad job like they normally do. Rebecca, do you have some insight on that? Um, yes, sir. I will speak about this, and then I'm going to remain quiet because I'm trying very hard to learn so that I can um, be an advocate <laughs> for the people who I talk with. So I want to, I'm writing down everything and taking notes and getting everything I can. But I do know that there was um, a trial and that there was the judge, actually Judge Reeves over this case, got to pick the first jurors. They went through the 50 jurors, and he got to pick a over all of them first and decide who wasn't going to be on the trial. They were all either state or federal um, workers who were on the trial. Um, they were basically instructed for about 45 minutes what how this was going to go. And so there was perverseness and crookedness all the way through it. But he threw out the first jurors. The judge himself did. And so um, it went very badly, you know, for Samuel because it was very controlled by the court. Uh, Rebecca? Yes. Where did you get that, that there were all federal workers, the jurors? Um, It was something that I read in some of the uh, reports online. Um, Some of of the things I told you about, I've done some reading. I didn't know know that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They were all federal or state workers, and they were were hand-picked over by the judge first. He, He told who to leave first that he would. So there were there were some crooked things involved in that. Absolutely. Well, that's why it's important for you and I to get together over the weekend, and uh, hopefully that time permits. You know, early in the morning is good for me, or uh, the evenings, anytime after seven thirty. I generally try to wind down throughout the day. Everything is hotspot, and and so you know, I kind of go with the flow. You know. <laughs> you could call any time, Rebecca, and then we could. Uh, I I can tell you whether or not time's going to permit us, and how much time I have, and such and so forth. Okay. Charles. So 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 one thing to remember is when you're looking at your situation, instead of you know you're going to respond to these people, but one of the main things to remember is that you want to organize your 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 response around issues that that your that the that the your claim raises instead of around case law or anything like that you know what i'm saying so don't go trying to respond by citing a bunch of cases or statutes only focus on the issues that the harm is causing and then you're going to be more likely to have remedy that's sure. just to start just to start. Okay. Um, does anybody know, apparently there was two juries formed. Uh, apparently a judge threw out a first jury, and then they, they had a second jury. Is that correct? They just had a, a list of 50, and the judge got to pick who he wanted to go out to get off the jury first. He just got okay, there hit. Was, um Usually they go through a voir dire process, what they call, and that means each party gets to 
to, to purge different people from the jury pool until it's reduced to 12. Um, uh, apparently the judge interfered with that, and it wasn't the parties. It was just the judge deciding who would be the jurors. Was that and correct? Then, and then, and then the, like you say, the other, the judge and the lawyers, all that, got their chance after the judge, after the judge went through and picked off who he wanted to pick off. Okay. Well, it, it does sound like perhaps we could we could assemble another jury and um, uh, declare the first jury verdict incompetent. I think we'd have a lot of grounds for that. But um, uh, was it a twelve-person jury with a unanimous verdict that finally came down? Mm. Not sure on that. Say that again. Say that again. A 12-person jury and unanimous verdict. Frequently they have less than 12, or they do not have a unanimous verdict. If that's the case, we've got a real strong case against them. But if they actually did 12 with a unanimous verdict, then they got a bit more color of legitimacy. Okay. I'm not sure about that. I'll look into that. Okay. I'll, that's I'll excellent, Rebecca. That. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, um, we've covered a lot of ground. There's a lot of powerful dynamics in motion here uh, on not only Sam's case, but also on Andrew's case. Um, we've got a lot of excellent scholars coming together. This is really refreshing. I look for, uh, if I might broaden out here just a little bit to, to paint some broader context from my perspective as the show host. Um, I, I, I look at the Seventh Amendment and I see that jury trials under common law due process is probably about the, the, the most powerful thing that we can do with, with Hartford's commercial process, which does not directly use a jury as, as being an easier thing to put together. Um, um, and so those two in supplement with each other, I think, gives us the most powerful cards that we can play here. Um, uh, in, in any case, not just Sam's or Andrew's case, but any case. Um, um, and I'm looking to move into to the jury trial process more fully, although Hartford's stuff with the commercial process is so quick and easy up front that that can frame the case real nice. So that's kind of how my perspective on on optimal legal strategies work in here. Um, yeah, and at that point, um, we just got a good crew coming together. And, and uh, Hartford was talking in the last conference about forming people's oversight committees. To my mind, that can be done with a, a nationally-based common law jury um, that can be adjudicating all these cases and providing oversight through, through common law due process. We can issue uh, judicial judgments exercising a, a, a common law judicial power. Um, so anyway, that, that's a rough outline of where my head's at, and comments and questions are surely welcome on that or broaden out back into other discussion here. I, I, I step down. Okay, this is Shorty. And hey, Rebecca, are you still there? Well, if you're listening, I sent uh, three links to Noah, and uh, they are videos, and it'd be good. Uh, to get Noah to uh, forward them to you so that you can have an understanding of some of the processes in which I find very uh, uh, very unique and uh, very usable in the court. 
And so if you get a moment and you get a chance to get those, that would be great for you. Shorty. Yes. Can we broaden out the discussion to bring everybody up to speed? That the videos you're suggesting are some of uh, the better selections of videos from Bill Thornton. Is that correct? Right. And 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 video number one, and you can find these up at uh, 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 not seeking justice resource page, but how to find justice at Facebook, and it's uh, the video. To look for it's a short amount of time from the top to go down. It's called Sovereignty 101, and the second one is uh, Forms Number 10, and then Sovereignty 101. Bill explains how when he goes into court that the very first thing that he does he suspends the judge. The judge can't make a decision for him or against him, and he shares the. Uh, case where uh, that one case he went in there and the judge missed it and issued an order and so then he issued an order to vacate the judge's decision and after that the judge kind of had the attitude of who does this guy think he is and so the judge issued the second order and so then Bill went and issued a second order to vacate that one and issued an order to hold the judge a contempt to court. And that's in Sovereignty 101, uh, Video 1. And uh, it took me a while. Uh, You know, I reviewed it several times. I went through all the Sovereignty videos. And after I did that, I ended up in forms. And when I got to number 10, that's how he explains it. And so then I put Sovereignty 101 and uh, 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 forms number 10 right back to back on that page. And so that being the case, people can see what's going on. And in the uh, uh, second video, he tells how he did it, and that's in forms number 10. And he says he's not concerned about the lawyers, but he puts a special note in there to let the judge know that he's number one and the judge is number two. And how he does this is when he establishes his paper, sort of like what me and Andrew did, is that he comes in there as one of the people uh, that's in the video, People Are Citizen, Which One Are You, by Bill Thornton. And so he comes in as, now comes Don Juan, one of the people in this court of record, and he explains that if you look up court of record in Black's Law Dictionary, you have the power to find the whole of contempt of court and the jail. And that's how he was able to hold the judge of contempt of court. And when he he put a contempt order out for the judge. All the judicials in that precinct took a look at his paperwork and said, oh, we are in courts of record. And so they refused the judge, and they put a common law courts of record uh, judge up there to deal with the issue from that time on. And so I'm a big fan of Bill Thornton and some of the stuff that he does. Now, what he does personally in his life, that's another story. But what he does in the court, I'm very grateful for the teachings. Uh, he has a webpage called uh, 1215.org, and 1215 was the year of the Magna Carta. And because of that, he established that website, and he's got 15, 20-minute, hour, half an hour videos, two-hour videos. And so I've got a lot of the 15, 20-minute videos up there on how to find justice at Facebook. And uh, I do have a second page that's called uh, Seeking Justice Resource. 
and it's up and running too. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. One thing about the Bill Thornton uh, information that you'll find those videos is that he will refer you to the statutes, and he is not afraid of of incorporating statutes into his into the fold. Okay, if you will, if you let me use that word. Uh, yeah. Because well, Bill Thornton is out there where you're at in California, right? That is right. Yeah. Well, I don't know him personally, but I've had three and a half years where I've had three to five hours a day, five days a week, uh, yes, studying his teaching. I'm sorry. I'm not actually not. I'm not saying anything bad about Bill. I'm saying something good. I'm saying just be prepared if you've never heard what those or seen those videos because I've seen them all. Um, that 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 actually, uh, Shorty, you know, some people may not be ready to hear the fact that he actually purports that the common law has been put to statute, and it's actually true. So, very interesting stuff there you're talking about, Bill Thornton. He's got some good, you know, good remedies when it sure. comes to making your holding your common law court and acting as a special master. And That's right. And special master is a very particular circumstance, though, right? You can't do right. it for your own case. Well, the thing can't, with the yeah. special master is like in assigning a person with durable power of attorney to be a part of the process of your court proceeding, right? Well, Mm, yeah, but it's, I mean, like, in other words, if you had a friend that you would trust as special master, then maybe they could come in and, and be special master in your, you know, your case, you know, but... Well, I have to, a uh, yeah. a boilerplate special master document that I did for uh, Ken Hogan down there in Florida. It never got used, of course. Usually, in most cases that I want to get involved in, there's usually 15 people standing in line in front of me and it makes it difficult for me to be able to reach them, you know. Mm-hmm. And actually, everyone, just so you know, <laughs> I, just in case you don't, that special master is real. You can it, literally, it is. Yeah. And I've I've already brought it up in Samuel's case the last week that we were out. This is something that we need to do, and I'm sharing it with Andrew and others. Uh, mm-hmm. This this document, and I I I can't believe how powerful it is. You know, I mean, it's just wonderful that that this, this became available. You know, I think it was about almost four years ago I prayed for a good teacher, and he gave me Bill Thornton, you know, and Bill has taught me a lot. You know, I've taken the time to download his videos, and I've downloaded a lot of other people's videos, but I've never seen anyone talk as straight and forward as Bill. And you know what? The one thing that Bill does is he realizes that the court rules are actually become the the lo- the law of the case and that the plaintiff can set the law and create the law of the actual case if if you're the defendant that's why it's very difficult as defendant that you know that's why you want to counterclaim so you can be creating the law of the case as plaintiff, you know, and and Bill's really big about about remaining the plaintiff in the case. Uh, I'd if like you're to, not, yeah, go ahead, Charles. Sorry. 
Uh, well, I'd, I'd, I'd like to, uh, no doubt Mr. Thornton is talented, but Mr. Thornton has been invited to this conference, and he's not on the phone with us. And we've got, what, I, I believe, at least Mr. Thornton's equal, Hartford Van Dyke, muted here in the background. And, and uh, what, what Hartford was talking about, using Title 18 and Title 42, because anybody that, that, that conspires to deprive anybody of their uh, uh, constitutionally guaranteed rights is committed in crime recognizable under Title, 14, Title 18. And Hartford was bringing that into a really nice, clear, sharp focus that I think is at least equal to anything that Bill Thornton's doing. Well, that's good, and I'd like that's to hear excellent. some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hartford's yeah, kind of yeah. He, he doesn't take a second seat. Is he either. unmuted? Well, uh, he's he's kind of muted in the background there. I don't know if he's got some background noise or what's going on, but I would like yeah. to invite him to please jump in any time because um, um, we've got one of the best scholars on the planet right here in the con. In in the, it looks I'm like on, I'm on just listening. Are you there? I'm on. I'm listening. All right. I, I, could could you perhaps briefly outline how you bring things into a real nice tight focus there by citing Title 18 and Title 42? I can tell you outright what I've used for 43 years. Please. Get your pen and pencil ready and paper. I'll list them right on down. Title 18, Section 4. Section. In fact, I'll just say Title 18, the following sections under Title 18 is 3. Four, two forty one, two forty two, fifteen eighty one, sixteen twenty one, sixteen twenty two. I'll go through those again. Three, four, two forty one, two forty two, fifteen eighty one, sixteen twenty one, sixteen twenty two. And in title forty two, see title eighteen. There's some noise in the background here. Title 18 is, this is the letter of the law. Title 42 is the spirit of the law. And the spirit of the law in connection with these is Title 42, Section 1983, 1985, 1986, and 1994. That's Title 18, Section, uh, 1985, 1986, and 1994. And you can do almost everything you ever have to do in the field of law with just those particular codes. I've used them for 43 years, and that's almost all I use. And I don't use any case law at all in anything I do. And I keep everything in common language. And respect you, Hartford, for saying what you just said about not using case law. That's well, when you use the problem with case law is it's judicial opinion. It's not legislated. And when you use case law in the courtroom or let somebody on the other side use case law in the courtroom, you're giving the judge consent to be the legislator, and he can legislate right on the spot the law he wants to apply in the case and then apply it in the case and, and uh, convict you under it. It's very dangerous to, to use case law in a courtroom if they say, well, in the case of Brown versus Sharp, da 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 da, you say, wait, this is the case of, just say, James versus Jones. This is not the case of Brown versus Sharp. So Brown versus Sharp is irrelevant in James versus Jones. However, if you want to bring up the principle you're raising from Brown versus Sharp, we will consider the principle, but only the principle. 
That's the way you duff off case law in a courtroom. Excellent. Wow. Thank you, Charles. Now, if you want to change the jurisdiction of the court, there's four different courts. There's the court of public opinion. There's the common law court with a jury. There's the equity court. And there's the summary court. The court of public opinion is governed strictly by commerce. The courts have the judicial courts have no jurisdiction over it whatsoever. The next court is the court of of the jury. It's supposed to be a jury of the peers. And which was what this means plainly and simply is when your fellow Mr There's noise in the background going on here. What's going on here? I'm very quiet. I'm, I muted myself. I just unmuted to say that. No, somebody in the background. No, somebody in the background is banging things together. Okay. I'm saying a lot of good things. Go anyway, this fellow that you got, uh, Sam, or whatever his name is, he's coming into this courtroom. If he wants to set the the uh, Who's making the noise in the background? Don't need that chopstick sound. Okay. The court of public opinion is the people on the street. The only law they're controlled by is commerce. The laws of commerce. The courts have no jurisdiction over commerce. I can prove that to you. If you have two items, A and B, and one can exist without the other, if A can exist without B, but B cannot exist without A. It means A is more fundamental. B is secondary. The, the primary law of the land and of the world since the beginning of time has been commerce. It's had nothing to do with the courts. It is the fundamental law, the law governed basically by nature. And, and since it has, does not require the courts, it's more fundamental than the courts. All of the courts require commerce. As for that matter, they're all enterprises in the business of making money for themselves. So they're separate from the public. They're enterprises. And I dare say they're enterprises of racketeering. Okay, so the court of public opinion is your fundamental court. The reason the judge, one of the reasons that courts have been established is to prevent one of the remedies in the commercial system is to be able to duel on the streets in order to win your battle. They try to take that away. But when all else fails, it all goes back to dueling. Survival. <laughs> Survival of the fittest. The second court is the court of common law, as you call it. It's actually it's a court in which you have a, court of, a jury of your peers. This man that is being processed in this court, you somebody made a remark that he's the people that were chosen for the, the trial, if there's a real trial to be conducted, are public workers, works for the government. That is absolutely an unacceptable jury because it is, the, it is the government that's prosecuting them and to have any jurors in there whatsoever that work for the government constitutes a conflict of interest. It's against the law. It's jury tampering. So you have a jury tampering issue on them if they put that kind of people in there. And the person that's having the trial has the right to cross-examine them himself, 
to determine whether or not he wants them on the jury. He has the right to recognize them as his peers or not as his peers. All you've got to do is run a paper down the street, or down your rural routes, and notify them of the trial. And if there's anybody in that area that would like to come forward and be a, a jury of his peers, he would invite them to it. And you can do that. You can put them in mailboxes. It's not against postal law. The mailboxes belong to the farmers along the road. You make it a public notice. As long as there's no advertising in it, the postman cannot remove it from the box. You can put any kind of paper information you want to in a rural box. Up where you would normally put the postage stamp, you have a statement. This is posted pursuant to Title 42, Section 1996, and Title 18, Section 4. Postman may not remove it from the box. And then you have legal notice on the outside that says it's public legal notice. And then you put quotations on the outside of this package that have got Title 18, Section 4 and Title 42, Section 1986. Title 42, Section 1986 is the Brothers Keeper Statute of Law. It says if you know a person's being injured and you don't help him, then you're with all, if you do not help him, assist him with reasonable diligence, that's the magic words in Title, 18, Title 42, Section 1986, you must act with reasonable diligence, and if you don't, you're subject to being sued by the person for any damage that happens, which you could have, by reasonable diligence, prevented. So that's why that one comes into law. It corresponds to Title 18, Section 241, and Title 18, Section 242. Uh, Title 42, Section 1986 is the Brothers Keeper Statute of Federal Law. And so... When you put this on the outside of your envelope, you can put it in the mailboxes, go right down the road route and put them in the boxes. The U.S. Postal Service can't say sick them about it because the box belongs to the owner of that box, which is the farmer that has that box along the rural route. He'd have to be the one to complain. And when you're doing something to help him in his trouble, he's not about to complain. You're entitled to a jury of your peers, which means you have the right to handpick the juries first to make sure that it is a jury of your peers. You don't have to put up with anything the government chooses. And so you can put a, re a request down the rural route that you want people to come in that you can select from them to be jurors in your case. That's taking advantage of what's naturally yours under the common law. They have to have, they give you the nature and cause of the accusation, which means they have to explain what the cause was, what happened, and then they have to ex ex extend the process to tell, explain for you anything you want to explain. Nature and cause of the accusation is extremely broad. Now, that's a court that there's, you have a judge in the courtroom, but the judge in the courtroom is not allowed to give testimony. He's not allowed to steer things in the court the way he wants to steer them. Oh. He's not supposed to be, not be in any position of steering what happens in the court, except he's subject to one of the canons of judicial conduct, which is, the judge will maintain order and decorum in the court, which simply means he's a referee. But anything he goes beyond a referee giving any opinion of any sort in that courtroom constitutes jury tampering. So that takes care of temporarily that court. That's the court of a jury. The next two courts are the equity court and the summary court. The equity court is a court in which you will have either a one person or two persons if you have two persons, if you have one live person and a corporation, that's a possibility. But other than that, it would be two live persons in an equity court. The basic rule of an equity court is it's a judge only, and therefore the judge is subject to bribery. 
And since he's subject to bribery, he can be, can, can, it's very, very possible for him to make money from the ongoings. The parties that are subject to that hearing or would be subject to that hearing have the right to disqualify him. And the way they disqualify him is automatic under the laws and, and your, your codes of the various states. That a, a judge cannot proceed in a, a judge-only court situation. A judge cannot proceed in a judge-only court. That's an equity court in England. They're called chancery courts. But they're called an equity court in this country. They're supposed to give equitable law, but since the judge can be bribed, it's very questionable as to whether people get equitable law. So if the, the primary requirement in the codes is they, in order for a judge to proceed in an equity proceeding against uh, conduct a case, he has to have the written consent in the form of an affidavit from each of the people on each side. And if he does not have written consent from both sides to conduct that trial, he can't conduct it. He's, he'd be committing a, law, a violation of the law. Now, if there's a corporation involved in that situation, all corporations are basically registered by the state. If you have a business and you have it incorporated, the state licenses every every corporation. The state licenses the state becomes a silent partner in. And so, the only permission that the judge has to have is from the knowledge that the corporation was established in the state, and the state gives him consent to proceed. And it doesn't matter what the CEO of the corporation has to say about it. The state is the one that decides whether or not that judge has permission to proceed. A summary court is a court between two corporations. There's no uh, real people involved. And the reason the judge can move along as a summary process in the court is because since they're both corporations, they're both licensed by the states, and the states automatically give their consent to the court to proceed, no matter what the CEOs of the corporation want. And so the summary process is between two corporations. It never include, involves a person. It never involves a what you would call a, a sole proprietor. And Mr. Sam with his farm, he, he sounds like a sole proprietor to me. As a sole proprietor, the summary courts have no, no power over him whatsoever. The equity courts only have power over him if he gives his written consent as an affidavit signed and sworn to under a notary seal. Otherwise, the judge has no right to proceed in it. So that takes us back down to the, the common law court. Now, if you look over to a common law court process, let's let's take a look at a civil action. Civil action. Somebody's going to summon, let's say somebody summons you to the court, or let's say you know, somebody summons you to the court. They usually have the the courts usually have a standard file form for that. You go in and you ask for a summons form so you can summon somebody to your civil action. It will say in that civil court action form, it will say, if you do not make an appearance in this case within 21 days, you're, you, might, you might lose by default. Now let's look at that 21 days. They never explain to you why it's 21 days, but there's a very definite reason why it's 21 days. Uh, I'd like to, uh, excuse me uh, for interjecting here, Hartford. This is the day go ahead. Died. Go ahead. Um, I wanted to just uh, uh, interject here because uh, we were going to try to co combine the two shows together. Um, the uh, the fourth branch, which starts in one minute or less, and um, and the, this talk show, 
Charles, um, do you want to change? Uh, do you want to change the theme of this at this point? If well, you do, I'll, if you do, I'll just I, check in with you next Friday. I, I do know that the theme was going to be along the same topic and changing it to the person's uh, case, which is Terry Tressel in Florida. Um, and uh, there's certainly a lot that you might be able to contribute to that as well. Um, but uh, it's now nine o'clock. Uh, I can I cannot make that change, but I will need to get off and get on that other line myself. I'm going to leave it up to Charles. Um, it sounds like we've got a head of steam going here, David, with uh, where Hartford's uh, shedding light on Sam's case and other cases. Uh, maybe we should uh, go in separate directions if you've got to go to another conference here, David. Okay, and I do, and uh, just uh, for anybody, uh, if you want to share that number that I gave earlier, uh, why don't you go ahead and do that, and uh, I'll just be over there uh, in the event that anybody would like to, to come over, or if you want to shift it over with your own conference calling ability. Um, um, you're asking me to post the number for the other conference? Uh, yeah, well, it, yes, I've got to go. Uh, it's already one minute past, and I'm co-host. Oh, okay, okay. Um, I, I don't have the number handy, but I'll I'll do what I can to facilitate others that want to follow you over there, David. Yes, it's the same number I gave when I got on the call here. Okay. All right, thanks. All right. Bye. Bye. Hartford, you were saying? Well, I was just bringing up the... Uh, talking about the jury trial and... Uh, he was talking about common law, you guys, and remember he was he was talking about the common law and about um, bringing me a civil action. Go ahead. Okay. So you get a summons paper from the court if you're going to run a civil. Let's say somebody's summonsing you, and they'll say on there uh, if you do not appear in this case within 21 days, you may lose by default. And you need to understand what that 21 days is all about. So I'm going to give you a brief overview of commerce. Commerce consists of two input processes. They're called barter and contract. Basically, everything is either barter, which means a direct exchange of material things or energy, and uh, an exchange of matter and energy, or it, it involves a substitute to close the barter, like a promissory note or I owe you the difference. It's like if a farmer sells a, a cow for 300 and buys a horse for 500, there's $200 difference. That would have to be made up by some kind of a substitute. One, substitute, one of the substitutes that's common is what we call currency, which is a, a coin, which has an intrinsic value of gold or silver or whatever it's made of. And so there'd be $200 worth of that involved. Or a paper contract between the two parties that says they'll somehow make it right with each other. But basically, those are the two things you have going into a process in commerce. It's barter and contract. And um, <clears throat> when you get these, if you have a difference and there's a problem, if there's any type of pro issue raised about damages or anything in the field of commerce, dollar value, then you do a biography of the situation, sometimes called a timeline. <coughs> the biography explains uh, the problem. It's called the allegation. It's a te technical word for it. And you raise your claims and so forth in that 
you begin to raise your claims. Once you have you got biography done, and then it's ready to present. And you, there's three ways of presenting it. You either present it to a criminal court, you present it to a civil court, or you present it to a document called a notice of interest. And the notice of interest is filed. It's kind of a combination of the other two things. A notice of interest is a process. It's well known to the Jews. It's one of their primary trade secrets. It's known to the judges. It's known to bankers. And it's known to title insurance companies. But that process, notice of interest, goes something like this. It starts at the top with the word notice of interest. Underneath it, it says affidavit. And you have that state of, county of, S period, which means subscribed and sworn. Then it says, the person says, I swear on my, uh, I, such and such a person, uh, declare that the following, that I am, that I have a monetary and fiduciary interest in the following property. Then you list the property. Usually this is used in real estate stuff. But it can be any kind of property, including chattels. That's movable, movable property. And uh, then you come down to a paragraph and you say this uh, notice of interest is being presented because a fraud, a fraud is being committed in the matter between such and such and such and such. And it's only one, one paragraph long, maybe even only one sentence long. And then you put a swearing in there at that end of that document. And this is the same swearing you use to enter the courts. I saw, and uh, in this case, I'll give it specifically for the notice of interest. I, uh, I would say Hartford Van Dyke solemnly swear on my own commercial liability that I've read the foregoing instrument, uh, notice of interest to know the content thereof, and to the best of my knowledge and belief, it is true, correct, complete, and not misleading, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And then it's uh, signed and dated, and it's put over to a notary to sign and date, and that completes the instrument. It's about one page long on one side. As soon as you file that in a court case, it stops the court case for three weeks. That's, it's a temporary instrument called a temporal or temporary instrument. It's a notice of interest. All of the other interests in commerce are full-time durable instruments. But the notice of interest is, is the three-week grace. It's a three-week process that puts the brakes on, absolutely puts the brakes on in the case. And if uh, this man, Sam, wanted to put his case forward and get himself a three-week continuance, all he'd have to file is a notice of interest and it locks up the wheels of the train, welds the wheels of the express train to the tracks. It costs about $10 to file it. This is Shorty. That's very good insight. Is there any way that, uh, uh, that we could work together over the weekend on your insight on this on sure. one-on-one? My telephone okay. number. The telephone number is five zero nine. Hang on just a second. Five zero nine. Seven three eight. Seven three eight. Three zero three nine. Thirty thirty nine. That's seven thirty eight thirty thirty nine, and the area code five zero nine. Right. So I'll continue here then. So this 21-day, this uh, notice of interest has to be put out on a certain issue, some subject. You don't have to go into great detail on it. It is not a full seven-point commercial instrument, uh, and, but it has the disadvantage that it has a grace period of three, day, three weeks, and it dies. 
Well, three weeks is 21 days. And it stops anything. If you want to stop anything in the court process for three weeks, you use the notice of interest. It has to be by affidavit and it has to be commercial. And it's awfully easy to translate any problem into commercial. Uh, That's the easiest translation in the world. There's even difficult ones like marriage. The difference between marriage and prostitution is the terms and the length of the contract. You've converted marriage and you converted prostitution, both of them, into the language of commerce. And if you want to look up the basis of that, you look up conjugal relationship or conjugal in Black's Law Dictionary and consortium and marriage. And if you look at the definitions of these words there and look at them in the definitions of these words in other dictionaries, you'll discover that that is, in fact, a commercial definition of the difference between prostitution and marriage. And so any case of divorce can be translated over into commerce by just simply acknowledging the commercial aspects of the marriage. And it can be dealt with that way. And if the marriage, if there's a, one, of, one of the two partners are taking advantage of the other, they've had a divorce and they've, one partner has decided to take the other for everything they have, all you have to do is put in the commercial statement of how the marriage was done as, a, as, a, as an act of covenant marriage till death do us part. And uh, and do a reversal on the divorce process, and they're married again. And if one of them is married in the meantime, well, they've got two partners then. The first partner wins. And so there's ways you can deal with this stuff in commerce that are much more quick than you can do in any of the rest of it because you're doing it. It's all commercial. The courts have no jurisdiction over it. When so anyway. Anyway, Can I comment on that? Yeah. Uh, I would love to because actually I got some good advice from David Merlin recently regarding um, small claims court. And um, what happened, there was an incident in which I was refused access to the quasi-public law library, okay? And for no good cause, they don't have any type of real good cause. I wasn't giving a speech or being on the carpet or anything like that. Well, you know how to take care of that one, don't you? Well, I was, yeah, I was just about to say what I would, what I would do. And then, and then you could, uh, give me what you, you know, what your remedy is. Very simple. It's very simple, sir. It's very simple. It doesn't take any uh, rocket scientist. What is it? The the constitution of the United States has a bill of rights. The, the, The fundamental body of the constitution of the United States is a commercial treaty with the world but it did not have a, a commercial relationship to the common citizen. So before they would sign it, they went and demanded that there be a Bill of Rights so that there would be a commercial relationship between the United States government and the people. Okay? You go to the you say the Bill, of Rights, the Bill of Rights is a commercial thing? It's a commercial contract between the United States of America's government and its people. It's all you need plus those, those codes that, are, that I gave you. That's all you need to fight 99% of all your battles in the courtroom. So what what do you do when, say, like somebody... Well, says, you just brought the thing up about the library. That, that, let's, that, not, that. let's not slip past that point, because that's a very good point. All right. Because, well, under the Fifth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, it says, nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation. You, yeah. are, a ta- you are a taxpayer in their eyes. And since you're a taxpayer in their eyes... You have bought a portion of that library. If they try to deny you the access to that library, they've committed a crime of theft from you and embezzlement. And then you go after them with criminal charges. 
and you'll find very quickly that the doors will be thrown wide open to you in that library. Well, here's what I would do, okay? I'm going to go basically complain to the FBI and basically let them know that they're they're violating Title uh, 18, Section 242, right, acting under color of law. And then at the same time, I do my uh, small... When you, small, when you file... Oh, no, just a second. You go on too yeah. fast. That's one of the reasons I gave up on trying to make any comments while I was listening the first hour and a half. Well, because you people done. are going no, you people are going down the road so damn fast you're missing all the scenery. <laughs> okay. You're missing all the scenery. <laughs> and I had to go through forty three years of this thing studying the scenery to figure it out. Yeah. I know what the scenery looks like and I know what the little Thank you, Hartford. And I, I know I know what I just told you about the library is true because that was done in Multnomah County Library. They wanted to shut it to the public. And it didn't take but one one simple writing like that to open the doors wide to the public again. Exactly. And the the plan that I was going to do was is is to send the the bill, you know, for like twenty five hundred bucks a week for the use of the uh, it's basically a lease on my rights. They you don't have to do right. no no you're going you're making your life too much complicated. Oh really? Okay. Yes, you don't do things that way. You, oh, you yeah, pick, I haven't done anything yet. You focus on the issue itself. You raise only one issue in the criminal complaint because if you give two or three issues, the people on the receiving end of that complaint are going to pick the two that will cause them the least damage, and they'll ignore the one that will cause them the greatest damage. So when you do a criminal complaint, you go in with a single issue. So they can't veer to the right or the left. They have to go right down the line. And a case stops at its first defect. And so if they don't answer that criminal complaint, that is the first defect, and it kicks it into second mode, which is a public lien. The first thing is when you file a criminal complaint, you do not file it as a defendant in the normal sense. I mean, as a plaintiff in the normal sense. You are a public proxy plaintiff. When you file as a public proxy plaintiff, they can't put you in jail for it, and you come under Title 18, Section 4, which is mandatory. If you know a crime is being committed, cognizant under the laws of the United States, and do not report it immediately to a judge or someone in civil or military authority, you can be jailed, imprisoned, and fined. So Title 18, Section 4 is mandatory. So when you, you file a single issue on a criminal complaint, it's one paragraph, maybe two inches high. That takes care of the whole criminal filing as far as the paragraph goes. And then the one that I designed, which is available on the on the internet and other places, is a box form. You just go down the line like a traffic citation, check the boxes. Then you circle Title 18, Section 241, if it's a conspiracy of a judge and an attorney or something like that. And you the dollar value of each box becomes $10,000 under Title 18, Section 241. And uh, then you total up that at the end of the criminal complaint. And if they exercise selective prosecution and won't prosecute your criminal complaint, which is usually what happens, then it kicks into the motion of the lien. Uh, not motion. I shouldn't use that word because you don't use any motions or petitions in court. or Otherwise, you're in a ball field. But hey, anyway, hey, that's what I like to hear. Go ahead. But what happens is... That lien, lien becomes your second remedy. So you file a lien and as a public proxy lien claimant. In other words, you're acting as a public proxy for the a proxy. It's like you're talking. In other escrow, words, what? In the place in the place of someone in the public domain prosecuting it, you're actually acting as a prosecutor. With a lien. Right? With a lien. With a lien. Right. 
That's right, with a lien. Now, you don't want to file a lien against a public official directly in your name because they take that as pay for terrorism and they'll charge you with interfering with an officer's deeds but uh, or activities. But when you file the criminal complaint first and exercise selective prosecution on it, that justifies the second remedy, which is the lien. And now they have to answer the lien within three months. That's Jewish. It's always Jewish international commerce is three days, three weeks, three months, three years. Those are the grace periods. And so that's a three-month grace period. They have to answer that criminal complaint. They have to argue against every box you checked. If they fail to do that, the lien goes into default, and it becomes an accounts receivable at the amount of money stated. Then it is immediately put out as a default notice by putting currency on the street against it. So, so it makes it possible for you to do what are called dispatches or assignments of lien value to the public in the form of a currency. And if you don't follow through with that part, they think you don't know what you're doing, and they'll come right back and take advantage of you. So you do a criminal complaint, a lien, and then a default currency. That's the way you keep the whole thing in control all the way up the line so that it answers to the public. I've done all the steps. And I wrote a book about it called How to Create Currencies for Local Communities. Yeah. That book is available for $5 postpaid. Just send it to me at my address, and I send you a disc, and it's got a whole bunch of other stuff on that disc. And my post office box number is post office box 831, Kettle Falls, Washington, 99141-831. I'll give those again. It's post office box 831, Kettle Falls, Washington. It's K-E-T-T-L-E, Kettle Falls, Washington, 99141-0831. That's postpaid, $5 postpaid. It'll be a disc. It has a 129-page book on it. What is the zip again? Zip code? What? What? Uh, what was the zip code, the last part of it? 99141-0831. The repeat of the box number. Thank you. And that gives you a 129-page book on uh, money, how it, its history, how it works, the theory behind it, and it tells you also in the one, the last one third of the book, it tells you how to create your own trust and bank and uh, currency to put on the street. I've done all those things, and uh, also it has a copy of the bank book. It's got a copy of the right to keep in barrelines, which tell you tells you basic uh, commercial and common law uh, procedures in the courts. And when you go into a court, for example, when you go into a, well, I was going to go back to 21 page, 21 day thing. The reason on a summons you have a 21 day window there. If you do not appear within 21 days, you could lose by default. Technically, what they're saying is this. You have just filed it. You have a notice. You have an opportunity, an automatic great period of three weeks, which is a notice of interest. And in that three weeks, you can produce any commercial item you want to as an affidavit, and it will have to be answered by the opposite side, or they can't proceed in the court. And that's, if you want to cite on that, I, I can tell you the site, but I don't cite it in the courtroom. I'm just aware of the fact that it's been done. That's Mellow Rich Builders versus San Bernardino County, California. Mellow Rich is spelled M-E-L-O-R-I-C-H. Eight letters, M-E-L-O-R-I-C-H. Mellow Rich Builders, the construction company, as I understand it, versus 
San Bernardino County, California. It was a debt collection process. And they had the, the county had its attorneys there and they were trying to re, uh, put this thing down. And the man presented his items before the court in the form of affidavit uh, to be answered by um, the county attorneys. The judge asked if you people answered his affidavit, and they said no. And they said, then this case stops until you do. And if you go to Mellorich Builders versus San Bernardino County, California, you will, as I understand it, find a list of 20 other sites that support the same position of that judge. Thank you, Harper, for that. Now, what happens is, if you go in that, that notice of interest, when it terminates three weeks, you can do another notice of interest, but it would have to be on a new issue, a new reason for doing it. But you can, as long as you can find issues that put the time off, you can continue to file notices of interest. Otherwise, you kick over either into the, the criminal side or the uh, commercial civil side. Those are your three choices there. And out of those things are created two documents, basically. One is called a lien. A lien is a paper debt collector. It's standard over the whole international money market. Liens are instruments that have to be respected because they are the fundamental method of collecting debts everywhere in the world. If you buy, prop, if you buy something at a, a store and you put it on a tab and they send you the bill at the end of the month called a statement, and you don't pay it, and you don't pay it, and you don't pay it, they can add 1% per month on their interest each month. And if it looks like you're an evasive person, they can take that same statement, put it at the top of an affidavit, swear to its accuracy, file it with the county recorder's office, and it becomes a lien on your property. That's what liens are for, is debt collection. And uh, most people don't have to deal with that because they're honorable in the payment of their debts. And if, the, and if there's a problem in a court, you go into court, the difference between a lien and a distress, if a lien is a paper debt collector, a distress is, is, its, is its brother partner. It's a distress is a paper sheriff. So you have the prop capacity in commercial law to write a debt collection instrument and create currency on the one side. And on the other side, you have the capacity to be a sheriff and ma manipulate what happens in the courtroom. So if a judge fails to give you a trial by jury, you can file a distress against the judge, compelling him to, to, to guarantee you a trial by jury or else you don't, he doesn't get back his property, which you seize with a distress. Well, to have a, uh, the grace period on a lien is 90 days. They have 90 days to stand against your con and contest, contest your claim in your lien. Or if you're working for the public, it would be called an escrow proxy. You'd be an escrow proxy for the public with that lien. You'd be holding the money in trust for the public. That's what my banks are. They're escrow proxies. I've got six banks, total fund value of about $60 billion. And I've dispersed $46 billion of it this year. So there, this is a technique that's usable and it's extendable. And when it's applied, it takes away credit cards. It takes away a line of credit. It's a very powerful method. You might not get what you think you will want out of it, but you will get action for sure. And it's action usually in, would you please take this lien off? Because nobody can take a lien off except the person that has put it on and a trial by jury. Those are the only two ways it can be removed. Judges and attorneys cannot remove liens. 
That's under Article 1, Section 10, Clause 1, U.S. Constitution. No state shall pass any law impairing the obligations of contracts. And the primary obligation of contract is the lien. And so if the, let's say you have a court case and you're not given what you're supposed to have in the way of due process, you file a distress, what do you use for the money? Because distresses have to be bonded with money. They act instantly. They don't have a 90-day wait. They act instantly. When you put on a distress, it ties the property instantly. And so it's, just, it's a method of impounding and seizing property. But it has to be bonded because it's so strict. Well, if you file a criminal complaint with a lien value at the end of it, the lien value at the end of that document becomes the bond on the distress. So you automatically have a, a bond on distress because you filed a criminal complaint to create the necessity for it. And if in the distress process, what have you, the difference between a distress process and a lien process in, in content is in a lien process, you're describing a, an obligation in the terms of money of what's owed to be paid. In a distress process, instead of listing money or items for money, you're listing the subject matter of the things that the judge is supposed to provide for you. Due process of law, nature and cause of the accusation, etc., etc. Whatever conditions you want the judge to come up with in court, you put it in the distress process. And if he doesn't provide those things, his property is tied up until it is done. You take a, you take a, lien, a notice of interest, which is a three-week three process, you file that in the title insurance company. The title insurance company will not clear the title on the property until that notice of interest is removed. And I talked with a man that has a title insurance company on this. He says, we consider a notice of interest to be the same as a lien because we only charge a flat rate for clearing title on things. We do not have any fringe amounts, any side amounts for litigation. So until that notice of interest or that lien is removed, that house will not be given clear title. That's how powerful it is, period. And so the lien has the power to collect debts, to secure property, to impound it, to guarantee that the debt is paid. And if it goes to court and the judge doesn't want to do what he's supposed to do, he gets charged under distress the same way his property is hung up to dry that way. And it doesn't come off until that process has been removed. That applies to title insurance companies also. They will not remove a distress or any of a lien or a notice of interest until it's done either by the person who filed it or by the jury. The judges and the attorneys cannot take it off. There's a case of a, of a, man, a judge in Seattle, Washington, a lady attorney came up with an entourage of other attorneys, said, we've had liens filed against this judge. Would you please remove these liens? And he says, ma'am, I've got one of those liens on me, too. And he says, when they're on, they're on. Just that simple. And that's, that's, these are the only processes I've used for 43 years is criminal complaints, liens, and, and, uh, yeah. and uh, not, notices of default by currency. Hartford, yeah. just to say, I am, I'm not surprised that liens are so powerful. It doesn't surprise me. That's the way to deal with these people. They'll hold you in contempt of court, but you can hold all their property, too. They think twice when they know you have that process, and once you've used that process and they understand the power of it, they don't want to play with... Uh, Let me ask you a question. Let me yeah. ask you a question. How does capacity to sue or uh, the ability to reason and understand the effect of your legal acts or actions... How does, what are you talking how, about? Let me start over. Let me start over. How does... 
understanding the effects of your legal acts and actions, right, affect your ability to place a lien on a type of individual that you were talking. I'm talking about capacity of the person placing the lien or standing, the standing, you know, of that what's your, what's your problem? I don't understand your problem. You're mandated by law to I do guess, it. I'm, there's no, I, I have no problem. I mean, let me give you a hypothetical scenario. Let's say you are either A, bankrupt, B, incompetent, or C, deceased. And but if you're deceased, to, yeah. If you're deceased, you're not in any battle. If you're incompetent, when you file a criminal complaint, they're going to regard you as being... They don't want to regard you as being anything, and certainly they would like to say you're incompetent, but incompetence is a relative term. So we're back to your first term. Right, which means, that's why I'm asking you, if they, the power of your lien process, does it depend on the court's ability to determine whether or not you have capacity or not? No. Courts have no jurisdiction over commerce. We're talking a higher level of law here, uh, uh, um, Don. Um, oh, I know. This, yeah, I know. That's okay, why I'm asking well, these questions. Uh, uh, it's real easy to get caught in, in the modes of civil procedure where, where the judges claim authority over everything, but Hartford's breaking through all that. It's unnecessary. All the other stuff is unnecessary once you define the process as commercial. Well, the, amount exceeds, the amount exceeds $20 in controversy, it goes to a common law jury. That's it, period. There aren't any options. Yep, that's a common law. There At that point, we get a merger, merger of commercial law and common law. They're both on the public law well, side. Con, no, you have to understand something here. Let's, let's understand something right away. The difference, the difference between these things. Commercial law is the law of transfer of energy and material from person to person. It has nothing to do with civilization. It has to do with the deal struck between two people to exchange matter or energy. That's commercial law. Now, to make it gracious instead of overpowering, we have certain graces that we create in our civilization, we call it. You see, civilization is a, an agreement in itself to do unto others as you would that they do unto you. Without that, you don't have civilization. You have to have fair business practice, clean hands doctrine, and all that stuff. All they mean is this. You don't screw your neighbor over with whatever you're doing. If somebody comes at me with a civil action, the first thing I do is I train him to defeat me. You see, the law is a stick that beats from two ends, and you better have a really good hold on your end of the stick. You don't file criminal charges against somebody unless you're very certain they need it or it should be done for the purpose of the public. You don't, you don't take advantage of anybody. And if a man sued me in a civil action in the court, I'd say, well, sir, you can't do that because of this. The judge pipe up. I'd say, judge, this is between the two of us. If you want to stick your nose into it, you're fine. But this is between the two of us. I'm trying to find out whether this man, what his motives are. Judge says, we are not interested in the motives. I'll say, Judge, if we're not interested in the motives, this is going strictly back to commerce because all the rest of it is civilization. The only reason we talk about these things is because we want to come to an understanding the laws of commerce are strict, extremely strict. 
I'm giving this man grace. I'm giving him an opportunity to win. I will teach him how to fight me. I will make it easy for him to defeat me. But he'll have to do it with those terms because if he steps out of line, the holes are not barred, not barred anymore. That's the way I deal with people. I've got 43 years of experience in this business. If a man sues me, I don't make a mess of his life just because I have a hammer. I'm not interested in living my life that way. I don't want the regrets of it. And I don't want to, and the regret is plainly not, if you don't, if you don't give grace to others, if you show no generosity toward others, it's a cold, cold world, because then you can only believe that nobody else will do for you. The only way you can live in this world with any peace of mind is to be gracious and, and uh, cordial and helpful, charitable toward other people. Otherwise, life is hell. So you have to learn that lesson, and it takes a long time. We're all born into the world as animals, and we have to learn to become human beings. And part of that process is called civilization. And when the common rules are set out, that's called the common law. The common law is the way we have to treat each other graciously in commerce without it turning, turning it into a, a food chain. That's what common law is. Common law is the adaptation of commerce to civilized behavior. Simply that is. That's all there is to it. The, all of, the adaptation of what? The adaptation of commercial law to civilization. That's common law. That's huh. all there is to common law. Now the judge yeah. comes up with his power. How do you deal with a judge in the courtroom? Okay. The simple way to deal with a judge in the courtroom. The judge comes into the room. The clerk says, all rise. The judge, everybody rises in honor of the judge. And then he sits down, and the clerk will say, you may sit down now. And the judge will say, well, will you please read the, the, the names of the people that are supposed to be in this case today. He'll go down the list, and he'll choose the list. When it comes to me, I say, I, I solemnly swear on my own commercial liability that the testimony that I will give before this court will be, to the best of my knowledge and belief, true, correct, complete, not misleading, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, and sit down. When the attorney stands up, you say, Mr. Attorney, I did not hear you put in a swearing that you would stand by what you've done. I want you to do the same. I want you to swear. I want you to swear the same commercial swearing. The judge. This is not really a piece, sir. What? What's going on? Oh, I apologize. Yeah. Go ahead, Sergeant. I apologize. Uh, I'm busy. I apologize, but I'm totally lost in listening. I apologize, Harper. Go ahead. Okay, so after you st stood up, sworn I solemnly swear on my own testimony, uh, swear on my own commercial liability that the testimony I will give before this court will be to the best of my knowledge and belief, true, correct, complete, and not misleading, the truth, all truth, and nothing but the truth. And sit down. I have just put the court into commerce. The attorney next stands up and says, Mister, I want you to be sworn in in commerce. The judge pipes up and says, Mr. Van Dyke, we don't do things like that in this court. I'd say, Judge, you're next. That's how simple it is. Because once you declare it to be in commerce, it's going to be an equity court under your terms, or it's going to be, a, a, in this particular situation, if there's no jury, you say, Mr. Judge, I don't see a jury here. And I have not consented to an equity proceeding. Therefore, you have no control over me in this case. And any effort on your part to take control over me in this case will be considered a criminal act. That's how simple it is. 
and you don't, and they'll say, well, I'm going to hold you in contempt of court. I say, Judge, that's fine. It's $350,000 for the first three days. Ah. That's all you got to do, because it'll be about 35 boxes checked on that criminal complaint on an average. And I've had them run up as high as 50 boxes checked. So, I mean, there's a very simple pattern to the thing. It's all done through economics. You're billing them for what they do. And then all of your documents that you write up in, in commercial law are all seven-point instruments except the notice of interest. Well, there are seven points. The seven points of an instrument are parties, allegations, explicit ledgering, surety, exhibits, certification, and signature of the, of the witnesses. You can take any legal instrument apart with those. You put those headings across the top of the table under, under exhibits. You have exhibits of fact, which are called evidence, and exhibits of law, which are called memorandum. That's the only one that's subdivided. You put those tags across the tabletop, and you can take any, in, any legal instrument, photocopy it, take the scissors out, chop it up, put the pieces under their proper headings, and you know exactly what the arguments are, exactly what the issues are, you know exactly what the strategies are. And when you write a document, you do the same thing after you've flowerily written the document. You make a photocopy of it, get the scissors out, and you put it under those same headings. You'll see where you've got redundancies. You'll find out where you're leaked, where your strategies are short, you'll, and you'll find out what you've left out and what you need to put in. Those are the seven points, three points up, three points down, and a cap on it. It's like an arch. Hey, Hartford, are you selling something, or do you just do this for because you what? want to help people? Are you selling, like, a package or something, or what do you... Well, I have some help? stuff available. You can find a lot of my stuff. It's all, all of my stuff is released to the public domain. Everything on history, politics, economics, and law, all that stuff is released to the public domain. Anybody, and it's on the Internet. It's all over the place. You can pick it up. You can photocopy it. You can mass produce it. You can have it at the back tables of your conventions and your seminars. You don't owe me anything for it. Now, I have a couple manuals that I haven't got in digital text because the digital stuff was disappeared when I was arrested. I haven't reached to retype the stuff, but uh, I have two, two manuals. One's called The Fundamental Principles and Processes of Commercial Law. It's about 160 pages. And the other one is uh, the Public Wealth Rebate Bank account, uh, CR96-500C, which gives the account of what I filed against a judge and five U.S. attorneys in Seattle and created the whole fund that I have by this commercial process. I put currency on the street. I put $138,000 worth of denominated currency on the street and $6 billion worth of check-type currency on the street. None of my notes have ever been challenged in any court of law or any hearing. Nobody's ever found anything wrong with them. They're all seasoned now. They're all seasoned 18 years. And I'm giving it away to veterans and whoever else want to, wants to claim something for that cause or any other consumer process for in the in behalf of the public. Are you talking about writing them like money orders? That's right. I've already put $6 billion worth of them out on the street. And the FBI and the Secret Service know it. They've known it since uh, 1997 when I started. For, I gave them copies of what I was doing so they would know what I was doing. 
There was no hot pursuit. But when I wrote the book, How to Create Currencies for Local Communities, that was the last straw that broke the camel's back. When I put that book out, they grabbed me up and put me in prison for four, seven years and four months to try to shut the book down. But somebody during that period, I had, just, I had distributed discs of it, of the manuscript, and uh, gave one copy to a guy who put it on the Internet. The government picked it up that way. They tried to take me down to keep me from publishing it, but the thing was already released in the book to the public domain. And I was put in prison in 2000, December 2002. By, by 2005, somebody three years later found the book in the archives of a company, pulled it forward and made it a, a goal to print it up. And so my book went out on the marketplace three, three years after I was put into prison, published on the, on the street, released to the public domain. And that book is on the disc that I mentioned, $5 postpaid. That book, How to Create Currencies for Local Communities, is available on that disc in this digital form. So a lot of this it exists. If you go to, uh, it's called fourcornersdoctrine.wordpress.com. It's HTTP thing and then www.fourcornersdoctrine.wordpress.com. Uh, the simpler way to access the same site is to type in the number 4-cd.com, 4-cd.com. That's the one that was set up uh, by a man in uh, Oregon and uh, used by the Colorado group and several other people. But that's 4-cd.com. The other site that's got a lot of another site's got a lot of my stuff is Arnie Rosner's site. He's in California, Fountain Valley, California, and uh, that site is called Scandretna. S C A N N E D, two N's in that word. S C A N N E D Retina, R E T I N A, dot com. Those are the two of the better sources. Otherwise, just type in Hartford Van Dyke in quotes, and put it on the search engine for Yahoo or Google. You'll get about a different about a hundred references on each site, if I understand correctly. And there's a lot of repetition because I don't have that many different kinds of of uh, material out. But they take from site to site and they copy it over so that they're available on their sites. I work by donations basically. I don't done anybody, never will, don't bill anybody for anything. I like to get a little bit of donations. It costs me money to talk on the phone, and transportation, gas, the normal things people need for a living. And uh, my sole source of income is the donations that I get. When I say sole source, I do a little side stuff like uh, sing for rest homes. My wife and I do some karaoke singing, but not much more than that. It's... Uh, Cool, man, just checking and asking. Um, what? Well, I was just thanking you and asking you yeah. about your, you know, that just for personal reference. Yeah. I appreciate it. And, but, you know, I, I wanted to say, there's a couple people on the call that were listening. We were talking about the thing earlier. Let's, I want to try to, the example of the guy in, in about to be sentenced because he was selling milk. Right? Because you're selling what? Because you're selling what? Milk. Milk. Homemade milk. Yeah. 
Which was what's his name? It, it's a commercial thing. I think. What's his, uh, what's his name? What is his name, Charles? Was it Sam? Sam, yeah, and it was anti-cancer salve. It wasn't milk. Oh, anti-cancer salve. Okay, so it's not milk. Okay. Hmm. And so what happened is that's a federal thing. So let's just take that as the example. And so they're they're coming in saying what? The feds are attacking him, and and it's all commercial, or the state's attacking him, and it's all commercial anyways, right? That's what you're saying. It's commercial, but it's just, it's just an own private commercial thing. The state has nothing to do with it. They haven't got it licensed. So he's sitting there getting sentenced. I don't know. We're not, talking about, we're not talking about getting sentenced about anything. We're talking about what the issue is, and the fact has nothing to do with his sentencing. That's all concocted by the government. We're talking about what he is as a human being, what he's capable of, and whether yeah. it's right or and whether it's right or wrong. That's the issue. And when the issue is right, it's awful hard for the other people to conduct their case. If they, if you know the truth, an error uncovered is two thirds destroyed, and the remaining third is destroyed by division of the house from within. There's people in that FDA that don't believe in what they're doing. They have no, no not very much voice, but they know if they quit the thing, there'll be all kinds of nasty things happen to people. We've got people in government offices that aren't really bad. They're there because they know if they don't go quit the job, the public's going to have a hard hard trip from that point on. Everybody thinks it's because they're in the office and they know that stuff's going on that they're bad people. It's because they're not doing something about it. But if they're in the minority and they speak up, they won't be there very long. So there are people that are trying from the inside to save this country. And you have to be very careful when you do these criminal complaints that you don't step on the wrong toes. But when you pick the right toes and you step on them with these criminal complaints, that gives uh, that piece of paper gives the people that are in that office that are good people, it gives them something to raise up and say, see what we've been trying to tell you, you're doing the wrong things. As soon as they know the public is on their side, they gain a little courage. and They have a supportive numbers. Then the good in them comes out and they take control of the office. But as long as as long as people don't complain, as long as people don't do anything about it, all those people can say is, well, I've got a job there. I don't like what I see happening, but I haven't got the power to change it. But I know if I quit, then there'll be even worse things happening. See, you have to look at this thing from the inside as well as the outside. You don't just look at the game board from your position. You get around behind them and you look at the board from their position. This is one of the problems you people have when you're conducting these things in the courtroom. One of my clients had uh, and his wife were in a courtroom in Kelso, Washington, and one day in court, he was held in contempt of court three times that day. They put him in jail and bring him out to try to soften him up. He filed 18 criminal, char- criminal complaints against him and totaled up 27 defendants. The total amount of counts in that was 10609 to $10,000 each. That's $106,090,000. The attorney general didn't tell the governor about it, but the governor found out about it about a month after it had the filing happened, and he went after his attorney general real hard on that one because he had kept it away from the governor. And so these things have an impact, and I won't go into this anymore because I can go into any detail, any direction you want yeah, me to go. Yeah, thank you. You can take the next caller, Charles, if you'd like to. I'm ready. To, I'm. Thank you, Hartford. No, no, I'm just saying, I, I'm not, whatever you want to do, but uh, I, I, I have had a lot of experiences over the years, and I can take a lot of side roads and detours and all that kind of stuff, and uh, 
that would just fill up the time, but it wouldn't necessarily answer your questions. And you'll probably have questions, so I'll go back to you now and ask you, is there something else you want to know? Okay. Um, thank you. Um, I think I'm good for now. I have nothing, nothing pertinent. Well, you asked about Sam's situation, right? Yeah. Well, I, okay. Well, here's the thing. Like, I'm curious to find out if there's something commercial that you know that that they can that you can do right now. Like, sure. Yeah. There's always something you can do, and there's something that you can do is you can get the names of people that have dealt with this man, get a list put together, even if it's just ten names to begin with. The power of a list of names. You have to understand this. This is from your when you're studying war games theory, and they have these things on computers. The power of a platoon is proportional to the square of the number of people in the platoon. If you've got two people in the platoon, it's four. The power is four. If you've got ten people in the platoon, the power of the platoon is 100, ten times ten. If you've got 25 people in the platoon, the power of the platoon is 625. And the reason for that is because each person in that platoon has to agree with the other 24. If it's 25, they have to agree with 24 other people. And since every one of the 25 people has to have an agreement with 24 agreements with the other people, it's 625 agreements. They get together as a group, and they have a power of 625. You go into a courtroom, you know, let's say you, you uh, somebody like Sam. Is Sam a veteran? Do you know if he's a veteran? I am not sure if he is or not. His, his wife, his wife would know. But here's the situation. Let's say Sam goes in to conduct his case in that courtroom. He doesn't have to have a public defender. What he needs is, is a veteran. And He's a veteran, not a veteran. A what? He's not a veteran. Well, he can have a veteran for an assistant. Okay, he, yes. Okay. So he goes in there, preferably one that's knowledgeable in the Constitution and can go in in full dress uniform. That's best, okay? Yes. There's, this has been this is a process being has been tried in Colorado and it's interesting the reactions. Okay. But but anyway, he, the the, the uh, veteran goes in there. So you've got two people. You've got the man whose case it is, who's a little probably shaky about what he's going to do, and you've got a veteran that knows something about the rights. Any veteran will work. And the judge says, well, we don't allow you in the courtroom. You say, sir, I'm a veteran. I was sworn under the selective service of this country to defend this nation's constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. That includes domestic, sir. And I'm here to do my service for my country to help this man. Okay. Okay. Now let's say the judge says, you're out of here. He says, attend hut and five more veterans stand up in the courtroom. All of a sudden, the power has shifted from two people at power of four to five people with a power of 25. <laughs> and then he says, and then the next thing, the judge starts getting wired about that because he's got to call all of his guards now about this point. And so they try to make a... Make, who's making all the noise? Seems like when the things get uh, close to the answers, the noise gets louder. <laughs> straight, yeah, go ahead. straight this thing out. So anyway, when the uh, judge calls his guards, well, he's got four guards, and there's him. That's five. That's power of 25. They start to make a move on on the one that's on the floor, and the five that has stood up, they say, a 10 hut and 25 veterans stand up at that point. Now the judge is outnumbered 625 to 25. 
that's how fast the power climbs. Yes, I understand. You, you understand now what I'm getting at? Yes. So a person doesn't have to go in there with no help at all. And if he can get four or five veterans to go in with him through the bar, the judges say, what are you here for? We're veterans. We don't like what's being done to this man. He's trying to provide something for the public, and you people are claiming that your opinion exceeds the good this man is trying to accomplish. You haven't found any proof whatsoever that what he's done has caused anybody any trouble. And until you have, you don't have a victim. You don't have a victim. You don't have a case. Yes. So you learn to use your, what's, as old Teddy Roosevelt said, do what you can with what you have where you are. If you can get some veterans to go in with that man, that's the best thing you could do for him right now because veterans need that support just as much as that man needs it. We've got to get behind our veterans. They're getting a raw deal from the government. Absolutely. I will do all my I'll do everything I can to get as many veterans together as I can now. So you understand what I'm talking about strategy. You quit trying to play the games of the court and you plug in some real strategy. Because yes. if that judge doesn't want to honor the judge can be shamed down. There's two ways of winning in court. You either sting them or you stink them. You either sting them with the law, which they have to obey because it's their law, and you use statutory law against them. That's the most powerful, and they can't, you, they can't argue against it. If you go into a federal court and you use Title 18, Section 4, that judge has to stop right there because if he retaliates against you, he's put you in peonage and involuntary servitude under Title 42, Section 1994, and he's subject to criminal charges under Title 18, Section 1581. Just, okay. that, just that fast. Yes. Okay. That's that's the way you do business. Okay. I'm trying to write notes down as fast as I can. Yeah, well, these are all things that are all simple pattern. The court scene is very simple. Uh, the judge has no authority under the, the description of the four courts I gave you. Mm-hmm. But you see, say, and if the judge tries to get heavy with the with the uh, veteran, you say, "Mister, I took an oath to defend this nation against all enemies, foreign and domestic. You don't have a right to piss me off. I served this country, and now you're trying to violate the very things I spent my life to serve. That doesn't come well to me or any other veteran out here. If you guard, if you deserve safety, if you deserve peace in your life." Don't screw with the veterans because what you're going to do is you're screwing with the military because if our oath and that, if our selective service oath doesn't work, if it doesn't work anymore, the military is not going to be able to go out here and induct anybody. And when the military can't induct anybody, you've got problems here because that aircraft carrier out there, that nuclear aircraft, has got to have a staff of 5,000 people running it. Yes. And if people like you want to screw around with the rights that we're supposed to be defending this country, mister, you're on the wrong foot. You're a traitor. And you're going to be dealt with as a traitor because you're being consulted with and uh, advised now by a veteran. We don't have to take any shit off of you. Do you understand me, Mr. Judge? And And I never say your honor because I might be perjuring myself. Yeah. Right. I never, I never call a judge your honor because okay. I don't because I don't know what his character is, and I don't want to cha- challenge. I don't want to have any incredibility in the thing. Okay. 
And you talk straight across to these people, and you talk as a person that respects the military because the military is the one that lays down the life for these judges. If it wasn't okay. for the military, they wouldn't have a job. They wouldn't, no. have, a, they wouldn't have a country. Right. Okay, let me ask you a question. Yes. If I, I'm going to be filling out papers, is it all right to give you a call anytime and ask questions? My, my regular working hours is Monday through Friday, 11 o'clock to, to 5 o'clock in the evening. At specific time, but in this particular okay. case, I see you're running on a deadline. Yeah, I, I will make an exception tomorrow, and if it's absolutely necessary on Sunday too. I I won't bother you on a Sunday, no way. That's the Lord's day, and uh, I I'm not going to bother you on a Sunday, no way. But sometimes, the- sometimes you have to step down into the gully and lift your little lamb out. Remember yes, that's absolutely. that's that's from the from Jesus' own sayings. Yes, it, absolutely. It is, it's not against the rule of labor to help. Yes, I agree. We need to help one another. It doesn't, no matter what. I agree. So I'm telling you, you can call me on Saturday or Sunday. I will okay. help you. I greatly appreciate it, and I can't thank I you appreciate enough. And I, I, I would I request something else because you have the time to do it. Do, okay. you, have a tape, do you have a tape recorder connected to your telephone? No, I wish. I just told my wife, I said, well, I wish I had a recorder right now. Yeah. Well, you can get it. I don't know if you have a Radio Shack there or not. Oh. They have a little patch cord. You can pull a plug out of your telephone, plug it in this little box, and the cord from that goes back into your phone, and it has a jack on it and probably even a volume control that you can put into the input of your tape recorder. And if, you okay. and if you haven't got that and you want to make a recording device, I can tell you how to build one over the telephone. It's simple enough that it will adapt your telephone information down to the voltage level of your tape recorder. It only takes a few parts to do it. And I can describe the process over the telephone. I can tell you. I can make a diagram for you over the telephone just by word of mouth. Oh, wow. And it's very simple to do, and they work very well. Okay, Wonderful. Well, I, uh, my son has a recorder, and I'm going to get it um, handy here when he when he gets back. He's gone right now, and it's and I'll um, I'll get it hooked up, and I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be calling you Hartford. Okay, well then we'll find out this way. Uh, it saves a lot of repetition if you can record it because then you can play the recording over and over again until you get it, and that's very conservative then of my time and your time both. Yes. I, I appreciate it. I can't thank you enough, Hartford. Now, the next thing is, when you get this recording, whatever it is, whatever value it has, whatever information is on it, you may reproduce the recording. It's released to the public domain. You may reproduce it. You may manufacture it. You may make money from it, and you don't owe me any royalties. I um, I don't make no money helping anyone in, in, in the legal system. I, I donate all my time and everything I do. Yeah, well, I'm just saying, tape recordings and pieces of items like this aren't free. You have to pay something to create them. Yes. And, and so yes, this, what you charge for is up to you, but I have to charge a nominal fee for some of these things. Postage, I see my, my book on how to create currencies for local communities, if I put it out, or my either of my other manuals, uh, Fundamental Principles and Processes of Commercial Law or the CR96-500C case, 
Those require about there's about a half, half a pound of ship, more than about a pound of shipping on each. They're up around the range of 150 pages. So the only way I can send them out economically and and actually with speed is by priority mail. It's six hundred six dollars and sixty five cents now. And so for for each manual. So and there's uh, when I put the discs out, I have to pay for that and the postage and all. So there's there are some expenses. Otherwise, I would be real trouble. I have to right. charge something for some of those items. And when you yeah. reproduce this stuff and provide it to other people, it's reasonable to charge a little bit of something for your services. A workman's worthy of his hire. Yes. I just I just don't get exorbitant about it. Yeah. You know what? There's this guy. His name was I think it was a yogi named. Um, well, let's forget his name for now. But some famous yogi actually said there's nothing wrong with getting paid to bring on world peace. Yeah. It might have been Maharishi. Maharishi? Mm-hmm. Or Paramahansa Yogananda? Yeah, okay. That's right. If the goal is proper, you know, workman's worthy of his hire anyway. So anyway, whatever you can do, if you can record it, you have the, the, the uh, it makes it speedier for you to learn, and take notes, and so forth. You can always go forward. Excuse me, Harper. What? Harper, let me let me ask you um, specifically because I have here your how to create currencies for local commu- communities. Um, I wanted to take note of the other book you mentioned about the commerce. The what? You said something. You have another book about commerce, commercial something. Well, the disc has got several items on it. How to create currencies for local communities, the right to keep and bear liens, the bank book, and a, and a couple other items on it. And uh, those are primary things to learn. Then I have two hard, two that I uh, put out in paper form because I don't have the thing digitalized. And that's uh, one of the, is the fundamental principles and processes of commercial law sell that for $60 postpaid and uh, then there's the other one the uh, case in Seattle Washington which is an example of how to use the information in the uh, fundamental principles and that one is about 139 140 pages but they're they're both about $60 each for them let me ask you a question about the uh, one of the practices well, I have another question. I'm sorry. Don, no, no, no. There, there's, there's other scholars here, Don. Uh, I, I think I've gone over this with you before. You're, you're, you're taking more than your fair share of hard work. Well, that's all your time. Charles. Go ahead. Charles. Yes. I, I didn't know that you had a ruler. I wouldn't have been doing this this way. I didn't know you had a rule either, so. Well, well, there, there, somebody, I know there's other people on the conference that would like to to share your wisdom and and ask. A no, this, this is just that's fine. Just say, okay, let's let's just have it open yeah, it up and let some other people yeah, talk. Hell so, yeah, good. Nothing to get excited about. If well, somebody else has a question, they can ask. They can write okay, it. Well, really. Got it. When Don's talking, I frequently get the feeling that we're competing for the microphone, and I don't like that either. But that seems the only way I can get the microphone away from Don when he's when he's talking with you like this. Well, perhaps others like what he's getting out of me, but other than that, let him come on. If anybody wants to talk about anything, 
I don't hog the mic. As soon as somebody starts talking, I shut up. I, I know, but, well, um, if we can slow down again, like you had said, and, and, and watch the scenery a little bit more, uh, we can get a broader base of, of, of contribution uh, to the discussion instead of um, a narrow focus with just the two of you. Uh, he, he keeps the show going, but if somebody else wants to say something, all i got to say is yeah, I'd we, like to talk. I, I, Yes. First of all, I do have some ideas of my my own, but um, uh, I, I'd like to um, I, first before I, I try to do any talking on my issues. I'd like to ask specifically other people on the conference that have called. Yes, let's here. do it. Let's do it. Let's not talk about right, it. Let's right. do it. Anybody else have questions? The door is open, wide open. Uh, I have a question, Hartford. Yes? Um, what, Who is, what can you is say? it? Who is this? This is uh, Greg Azu. Go ahead. My name is Eric, but I'm on the on the phone. I'm Greg Azu. My name is Eric Hartford. I was here uh, last week. I missed a lot of the beginning of the call, but I wanted to ask you about allocution, like the last, before sentencing, sometimes the judge will give you a, a statement. At the end. Yeah, I know allocution. What, what okay. do you ha- what are you asking about it? Well, do you have any good good uh, suggestions for somebody might say at that time? Well, the allocution is your second chance to give yourself a trial, and uh, you have to understand how corrupt the system is. Some people will allow you the allocution, and some people won't. But you're entitled to it. Um, in my particular case, I was uh, given a trial, if you want to call it that. I was told before the trial happened, it was called a motion in limine. It's the very opposite of the allocution. In the motion in limine, I was told by the prosecuting attorney and the judge, basically, they had their heads together, that I would not be allowed to defend myself in court. Plain and simple, and it's in my manuals. You can see a copy of the motion in limine. It's a motion that's supposed to be used only by the defendants, but the government has picked it up and they use it as a method of denying people testimony. Allocution is is testimony after the case, after the fact, after the verdict. That's allocution. It's before sentencing. And so you have a situation. Uh, In my case, the prosecuting attorney gave his half of the trial, conducted his half of the trial, and the judge stopped the trial in the midpoint did not allow any defense and turned it over to the verdict for a not for a guilty verdict. And in the closing statement of the process, the junior prosecuting attorney gave a closing statement. And his statement was that the basically was that the board of directors of the Federal Reserve Corporation had uh, demanded that the process be put action. And uh, what happens in some of those cases is the in the case of Federal Reserve issues. It's so embarrassing, they seal all the files. So you can't get case law on federal uh, currency issues. And it's uh, too embarrassing to the Federal Reserve. So anyway, they shut down my case at the halfway point. I never got anywhere near an allocution. So it's something you're entitled to, and if you don't have that extended to you, you have the right to file criminal charges against them for denial of due process. 
that's the greatest advantage you have if they do, do not allow you an allocution. But you know, there's so many things that happen if you understand your case. There's so many things that can happen before you ever get to that point that you wouldn't even need an allocution. A case stops at its first defect. If you can pinpoint the first defect in the case and file a criminal complaint on it, it washes out the rest of the case. And it doesn't matter. You've seen these these uh, files that the, the, the attorneys use, uh, whatever you call them, a file. They're called a bypin board. And once they get a public notice or paperwork or something, they put it in a special bypin punch. They punch it and they put it on the stack of their papers for the day. Are you familiar with what I'm talking about? Are you, are you familiar with that kind of a, a clipboard? Yeah, yeah, the, with the two holes on top, right? Yeah, that's right. The reason they do it that way is because they don't want anybody to pour down into the stack and find the errors of their ways. That's the primary method. They try to keep everything to the top two or three documents, and they don't like anybody digging down into the documents. Now, I was just telling you about this one man that uh, he, filed, he had 18 violations in the courtroom with his wife. Uh, his wife and he were violated 18 times by the, uh, by the government. Remember, I told you that, and there's 27 defendants involved. He created a criminal complaint for each one of those. That was about 17 times. 18, uh, 27 times 18 was the number of criminal complaints, so that everybody would have a copy of everything. Five boxes. He went into the United States Attorney's Office to file those things in Tacoma, Washington. And he had 18 witnesses with him. It's very nice to have a lot of witnesses with you when you file. They waltzed the boxes. They had five boxes of these criminal complaints. And uh, they wanted them all stamped in by the United States Attorney. Well, he was well, didn't want to have anything to do with stamping one of them. And so he's uh, dancing around behind the counter a little bit, and there's 18 people in this office, and that's about as many as you could cram into that office. And I was in the back standing, and he was trying to give an excuse that he wasn't going to do anything. I said, well, it seems that the U.S. attorney isn't going to do anything. How about three of you coming with me? We'll go down to the lobby here, and we'll get on the telephones, and we'll call three TV stations in here. We'll make sure that this is covered because this has to be seen. As soon as I said that and got three people started walking out of the door with me, the U.S. attorney popped up. Well, uh, Mr. Carter, his name was Jerry Carter. Mr. Carter, uh, what, what what can I do for you? You know. Well, we went down to the lobby, started the thing with the tele- television stations to come in. Then I left them down there working that thing out with the TV stations, and I came back upstairs. And this 18 witnesses or so were milling around in the hall. I thought, oh, my God, what's happened? So I went through the door into the U.S. Attorney's office, and there was Jerry Carter behind the counter with a U.S. Attorney's stamp in his hand. And there was a person on his right taking criminal complaints out of the box and laying them in front of Carter. And when he would stamp them, he'd pass them to the left to another man who was putting them back in a box. And there was the U.S. attorney on the outside of the counter staring up at the clock. Well, what happened apparently was, this is Tacoma, Washington, 30 minutes away from Seattle. 
he was watching that clock because he'd put in a request. You can bet your bottom dollar he put in a request for marshals. And he was just hoping they'd arrive before all of this was over with. Well, after they were all stamped in, they still had a margin of time, and Jerry Carter went down the hall to the magistrate's office and had the magistrate sign in five copies of each of the 18 complaints. And then he left the building. I don't know how, how clear how much time we had to clear that building. But that's how far some of these things go. He, that was a case of 10,609 counts, $106,090,000. So, anyway, this is, this is the way processes are done. And when you go to a case, you, you're asking about the allocution. If you catch a case in the beginning, at its first defect, you never get, the case dies. You never have a reason to do an allocution. But if you've reached the point of an allocution, you should get real busy right then and there. Before the allocution, if you can, if you're still free on the street, and work up the necessary criminal complaints on the first defect of the case and file them. Because that takes the place, it's a very fine way to replace an allocution. When you, it's, it's much, much better to put something positively in. And don't rely upon appeals because I learned when I was in there, that when I was in prison, that of all the appeals that are filed, only about one in a thousand gets looked at. The rest go in the wastebasket. And there was a clerk that was handling this thing. He was being ordered to throw these things in the wastebasket, and he did a lot of it until his conscience caught up with him and he committed suicide over it. That was in the newspaper. So these clerks and other people in government sometimes get tied into jobs that they don't like. They know they cause problems, and after a while they can't live with it anymore. And so allocutions are good if you can get a judge who go along with it. What was the question about allocutions, though? How did that originate? Well, man, ask me a question about it. Well, let me ask you one real quick here. I found a case in, from 2002. It's Florida. About, it says, allocution is right of defendant to make final plea on his own behalf to sentence before imposition of sentence. That's correct. Uh, to sentence, sir, before imposition of sentence. That's so, correct. Um, go, can you give us some details, please, about that? Well, you're going back over the issues of your case, and you're saying why you shouldn't be prosecuted or penalized. Is, is it limited in scope, meaning... They it should be. It should, it should be unlimited in scope. You should be able to cover anything you want to. And the allocution should be able to last as long as it's necessary for you to state your case again. And if they don't allow that, that's a violation of due process. You file criminal charges against them for it. And you leave it in the care of people on the outside that can file as a proxy for you so that if they put you in jail or that you've got other people on the outside that can file proxy instruments and bring the criminal complaint to its completion, to lean to its completion, and carry the rest of it out to its completion. Because when you've filed criminal charges on this, you've basically stated your allocution. The allocution would be a challenge to what they're doing to you. So would a criminal complaint be. And the same thing, it's just that one you can pass over to other people, and they can file it as a proxy in your behalf. So you put your allocution together on paper, you give... Distribute copies to people you feel could make good proxy filers for you. 
And if the judge uh, violates you, doesn't give you the allocution you're entitled to, then the people on the outside file the necessary paperwork, take it to a layout place, put it on a web press, and produce 4,000 copies of it, distribute it on the street. That's the way I used to do it. I put 100,000 newspapers on the street approximately. 25 issues at about 4,000 each. I go down to the bus end of the bus route, starting there, and come all the way in into Portland, Oregon, downtown Portland. Put 20 copies of my newspaper in every single bus bus booth from down out of the outskirts, clear into the city, and then sit there and watch them come off the bus with my papers to make sure nobody scram, uh, scooped them up and dumped them somewhere. And I would go into a courthouse. Another guy and I would go into a courthouse with six bundles, or the six. There was a seven-floor building, seven-floor building in Multnomah County uh, Courthouse with a, with a high security uh, at the top, so a person couldn't escape easily. But there were six floors we could serve, and so each of us would take three bundles of papers. There were about a hundred papers a bundle. I'd come up from the bottom, and go around the halls, and put them in all of the benches and under the doors of the judges' chambers. The other guy would come to go up to the sixth floor and drop down, and when we meet, we'd leave the building. We can't do that now because they got everything guarded. But in those days, in the 1970s, that's how we did business. And I'd paste up these things on layout sheets, and I'd take them down to the Gresham Outlook about 11 o'clock at night when they're running those senior papers and the, the nickel ads and things like that. They had a regular paper they published during the day. But at night, they published the miscellaneous papers. And I'd go in about 11 o'clock at night, and People running the presses, one of them would get a big grin on his face. Now, who's going to get it this time? And uh, they would give me a print while you rate run at this place. I'd go out of the place about midnight with a carload of about 4,000 newspapers and go get ready to do the shoe leather trip and put it on the streets. That's the way you get things done. And you take a bundle of them over down the street and put uh, 25 or 50 of them in every bar and uh, just whatever, anybody that will read, take them to the truck stops, and they'll take four or five bundles on the truck stops, on the trucks. That's how you take care of these allocutions. You do it publicly, they can't stop it. And that's very good for you, because if you're in, in jail there and they, they've, they've got threats against you, they find out this stuff is going out all over the place. They start to, remember I said there's two ways of winning. You either sting them or you stink them. Stinking them means you expose what they're doing. Show how scandalous it is. You put papers on the street. You don't try to put ads in other people's newspapers, especially the control press. You know, it costs you a fortune for next to nothing compared to that. You're able to put 4,000 newspapers on the street and fight your battles with newspapers. It really works good. Mm-hmm. So, and then you... Thanks for that. What? I what? said thank you for that, Harford. Yeah, and then I told you about the one a little earlier about putting them in rural post office boxes, mailboxes. When you yeah. produce your when you produce your newspapers, the newspapers are always stated to be a public notice, a public legal notice, no advertisement in them. If you put advertisement in it, then it becomes something they want to play with. But as long as it's a public legal notice, nobody can can uh, complain about them going out because you're informing the public as to what's going on. And you go down the rural routes, so those things have one person. In our cars, the mailboxes are on the right side of the car, which is inconvenient for a driver. But you get yourself a friend that is willing to work the thing with you, load your papers in the back seat, and 
This person sits in the front seat on the passenger side with the window down and goes right down the route and sticks them in the mailboxes, just like the postman. Boy, you really get stuff done that way. It really catches on. And then you give them to the bars. They, there's a lot of people like to go attend bars and and uh, you got a, your. You know who's really good at that is um, Lyndon LaRouche, this the National Socialist guy, right? I think he's a National Socialist guy. I'm not mistaken. And he has a team of people, a team of people handing out uh, newspapers. Do you have a take? I'm sorry, I'm the only one asking questions, but it seems that I'm really interested in this. So. Oh yeah, I'm interested too in some things from last night's on Angela's call. But go ahead, Donaldson, if you got. Oh, actually, if you have another question and you want to address, that's the yeah. idea. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Hartford. Yeah. My name's My name is Rick, and I've got so many questions. But the one that I'd like to ask you is that. Uh, a friend of mine, I'd went to court with him. Uh, I was trying to do this Carl Lentz teachings, you know, because I don't know anything about the legalese and stuff. You don't just need it. You don't need it. Just that's right. Okay. I went in there as a man, and you know how you go into the courthouse, uh, and you got your security there and a deputy, and they want you to come in, you know, go in there and go to the scanner. Well, I had my documents or my evidence, the man that acting as a deputy considered it a cell phone. He said, I can't let you bring that in the building. And I was like, uh, I'm a man. I'm one of the people of Illinois. And I've, I've got a video recording of this. And he says, okay, but you can't come in this building with the cell phone. I was like, uh, he goes, are you an attorney? And I said, uh, can I have your name? And he wouldn't give me his name. And this went on. And I said, do you have a shield number? Do you have a command? I was like, I'm one of the people. And he goes, okay. Um, uh, you an attorney? I said, oh, I'm a private attorney. After I stooped down from a man, one of the people of Illinois, now I'm a private attorney. He said, do you have a bar card? And I said, no. He said, okay, let's you in. Uh, is there anything I can do about that? This happened last September. And my buddy, I went ahead and went on in court, locked my documents, what the man called it a cell phone, locked it in the box, went on upstairs. The judge granted my... The uh, attorney, opposing attorney, to go ahead and demolish this man's home, my friend's home. So it's demolished and leveled. All the landscape, it's all all leveled. And I believe if I had, I went in there with my documents, I could approve this, you know, to the judge. Does you want so, to get the value of his property back? What is this you want? What is he, what is he seeking? I, I, I believe I believe that man acting as a deputy interfered with my right. To, well, uh, you, see, you have to understand it from the court side of it. You don't always like to think that way, but remember, you're stepping into their world. There's a lot of people that don't like their world, and then that cell phone there could be contained in an extremely explosive instrument. Mm-hmm. They don't know what's in that cell phone. Well, once I had gotten up, to, well, I understand that, but once I had gotten into, you know, I was gonna had my paper documents but my supportive uh, evidence was in my so-called cell phone and had I got the court up to the judge I could have you know challenged the jurisdiction and had it transferred into the common law. Yeah but what kind of information was on the cell phone that you could do that with? 
my my these documents that I'm learning, you know, these papers. Well, you're supposed to be, you, you have to understand that that's the way they do things, so you'd have to have your documents, your hard documents with you, not the cell phone. Okay, and so that man theory then, uh, okay, it's, you know, I'm going in there and then I'll, it will be my court, so that man theory then about, well, who's to say what is documents and what isn't documents, you can just throw that out the window then? Well, actually, you're trying to take this thing at the far end of the stick instead of, I mean, you're at a great distance from where you should be in this question, because the first question I have is, why are you in the court? To help save this man, my friend, his property from getting demolished. You could have done that as a proxy, but you didn't know that. No. That's the way you could do it. I do believe that that man that was acting as a deputy had interfered with my right, though, to access the court. And I asked him, I said, is that your order? He goes, yes, that's an order. And I said, okay, I charge $25,000. You're going to have to get accustomed to the idea that when you're in their court, you're in their ball field. Okay, but I wasn't. I don't don't have anything to do with their courts. Okay. Do Do you know if I'm technically in the courtroom once I pass that scanner, once you or once... step through the doors of that building, you're under their their control. Uh-huh. Even if it's just the front door, the swinging door on the front of the building. Huh? Even though it's a public building, okay. That's right, because it's not public in their eyes. It's their property. It's their, it's their <laughs> I, I heard you should knock on the door before you come in, and this way you're not just coming in there by consent. They let you in, you know, that kind of thing. What do you think? Yeah. Well. You have to understand if you come to play in their ball field, they're going to set the rules. That's why you do everything in commerce, because you can do all of it outside the building. <laughs> That's why I don't uh, particularly care for any of the other methods except the common law jury. But even that, they've got messed up. Well, I had, my, that wasn't just the one thing that I was going into court for. I had three other cases that I wanted to go to the clerk's window to get access to the well you uh, have to you have to learn to separate those things and take them one at a time you have to start learning you go in there and you get material and after you've got the material on the case you get it out of the building and into secure positions then you go in after number two you get that and when you've got that secured you take it outside the building and you put it in a secure position and then you go back for number three because if, if somebody gets angry in the meantime and doesn't like you being in the building, they'll snatch everything you've got and take it away from you, and you've lost all number one, two, and three positions. You've got to learn to be very delicate about this thing. You go in there and take it one thing at a time. It's all concentrated on one thing. And then you get that, and then you take it outside, and you perfect the process by by protecting it. Then you go back in after the next one. You don't try to take on three sharks at one time. Okay. Well, my other... Regarding that question with the deputy, uh, by him even implying, asking, do you have a bar card? And I said, no. no uh, but, you, but the bar card, you have to understand the bar card is a, is a little bit of a, a queer situation. Understand, the bar, there are lawyers and there are attorneys. If you get into my writings, you'll see the difference. Attorneys come from, if you're not aware of it, the attorney concept comes from the feudal era of England. An attorney was a person that passed property from one landlord to another without letting any of the wealth fall to the commoners. It was a, it's a class structure. 
So the purpose of the attorney in England was to keep the rich rich and the poor poor. The process of doing that is called attornment. And the people who have processed that are called attorneys. That's what we have as attorneys. We have lawyers, so to speak, if you can call them lawyers. They're treasonous little pieces. You've got the attorneys whose only purpose in our American society is to keep the rich rich and the poor poor, just like England. The lawyer is a person versed in the law. He has a respect for it, and he believes in the equal protection of the law. A true lawyer works for both the rich and the poor alike. So there's a difference between the two. Well, I understand you. You're a very knowledgeable man. Well, you can look this. Too. You can look this one up. <clears throat> well, I'm just trying this, to get this one. Basics. If you want to, if you want to look this one up, you go to volume 71, pages 1179 to 1200 in the Georgetown Law Journal, an article. Uh, the the Jewish Shatar, a law of the Jews becomes the law of the land. And it came between the era of 1290 and 13, uh, between 1190 and 1300, and in that period of time, the Magna Carta was signed. And this, the matter that existed is the King of England was trying to raise money for its armies and wars. They needed money, so they invited the Jews in. The Jews said, if you want to borrow money from us, you have to come up with collateral. That forced the king to take the property back from the, that he had given the knights as a reward for their service, so he would have property to use for collateral. That destroyed the feudal era of England. And then, then it went on, and from that time on, this is a say, it's as written by a Jewish Shapiro article. The Shapiro family is quite much into law. And uh, so anyway, it's a 21-page, 22-page article. It's rather long. And uh, anyway, uh, it's made clear in there that the Jewish commercial system was welded, welded together with the common law of England at that point in the history of England. And so, by, so that by the time that our forefathers came up to, from England to America, they had a combination system called common law. But in fact, it was a combination of commercial law and common law. And they took it one step further and made it the Constitution of the United States. And if you read in the Declaration of Independence, it said it was to, be, to guarantee that we would pay our debts in commerce. In order to be a real nation, we had to be able to pay our debts in commerce. And so the Constitution of the United States is actually a commercial trade agreement between the United States and all the nations of the earth. And the things that are in there about human rights are there to, to secure to other nations the confidence that our government wouldn't uh, injure us so that we couldn't create the wealth necessary to pay the debt. But that wasn't enough for our colonial fathers. They wanted a contract of their own, and that became the Bill of Rights. And so if you really understand the Bill of Rights, you can use that in combination with the codes that I mentioned earlier in the program. And... Uh, in those combinations, it's about all you need to fight all your legal battles. If you're clever with the Bill of Rights and the... Uh, were you present when I gave that list of uh, statutes? I mean, codes? Did no, you write? No. You weren't? No, I, no I, I, came, could, I came on the call late. Okay, well, I could review those. There's not very many of them, and some of you might want to do that. So I'll give okay, you... I well, can do it from memory. Title like, 18, uh, Section 3... Four, also uh, 1738, uh, I believe, 
And no, then no, you go no, to, I'll go, I'll uh, go down, I'll go down to, yeah, <laughs> you can go ahead and uh, just put it in the, type it in the chat there, Donaldson. Um, so basically though, there, Mr. Hartford is that, yeah, there's just, about a dozen I, of them that I used for 43 years. I used okay, a dozen well, of them plus the, plus the bill of rights, the declaration of independence and the constitution are about all you need to do all your legal work. I don't use any case law in anything. I very rarely refer to it. I had a strategy teacher that taught me the most important books you can have on your library for a law is just plain old dictionaries and collect every type of every dictionary you can get, no matter who makes it, just uh, whatever you can afford, because the dictionaries, every definition in a dictionary tells you the strategy that involves that word. Well, I have uh, basically with my knowledge of. Uh, illiterate, reading, comprehending. I'm like a kindergartner uh, into anything when I read. Um, I basically just speak how I'm speaking over the phone with you now. Uh, That's good because that's really all that counts anyway. We're all supposed to be knowledgeable in the law. You know, they say you can't practice law without a license. Well, to practice law means to be a law-abiding citizen. So you've got all these law-abiding citizens walking that street out here practicing law, and they don't have a license. You see, to keep the police real busy collecting all of them off the street because they don't have a license to be law-abiding citizens. So this whole idea of practice of law without a license is a piece of uh, tomfoolery. Mm-hmm. And I, I've been in court, and I was challenged one time to a few bankers, uh, some attorneys for a bank, and uh, they didn't like the advice I was giving to my client, so they turned me into to turn me into a board of judges or something said unlawful practice of the law. I filed a criminal charges against them, submitted it to Bar Association front office in Portland, Oregon, and that's all it took. They just went away. Okay. Well, I'm going to go ahead and yield to uh, some other folks here online, and I uh, thank you for your time, sir. You're welcome. You know, you got my telephone number. You can call me. Next. Uh, Hartford? Yes, sir. Uh, Charles Stewart here. Um, uh, I'd like to uh, share some constructive criticism with your interpretation of uh, Judith Shapiro's article there on when uh, um, uh, the the Jewish uh, law came in with the commercial transactions into the laws of England. Yeah. Okay, I, I, I'm familiar with that article, and uh, um, I believe the text therein indicates that that, that was uh, uh, at the date of 1066 A.D., the Norman Conquest, not the later date that you mentioned of Magna Carta. Well, I don't know about that because I've got the article, too. Maybe we're not talking about the same article. I, I know it's the same article by Judith Shapiro out of Georgetown Law School, right? Okay, that's fine. She's got footnotes to go back clear into Hebrew times. I know that. There's a lot, lot of footnotes. Right, right. But th- what I'd like to point out is that at that date of the Norman Conquest, a previously existing and fairly pure system of common law jurisdiction with the townships and the precincts functioning properly was in place in England. And at the date of that Norman Conquest, it was basically that the Catholic Church was financing the whole thing, and William the Conqueror came in, and 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 the Shapiro article says that um, uh, uh, William the Conqueror and his troops uh, quote ripped the fabric unquote of uh, uh, the 
the common law communities that were previously existing in England. Mm-hmm. Uh, wouldn't be surprised. Okay, well, that's what that, that's how the the Roman law came in, and and uh, uh, piggybacked on them was was this Jewish commercial law that 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 basically got us away from all of the the um, the, the more pure form of common law. I wouldn't be surprised because the Jews didn't have a pure attitude about money, except yeah. they wanted money purely. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and to my mind, the bigger point is that that the situation in in ancient Israel just carried on because the Pharisees there were were, were capitulating to the Roman Empire, um, and, and so now uh, later, a thousand years later, in 1066, uh, the same situation is existing with uh, uh, the Jews coming in on the tails of the um, the Romanists. Uh, to to build another form of empire in England wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, um, and 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 uh, now that I've uh, got the microphone a little bit, I'm I'm glad the others are sharing the conversation. Um, and it takes me a while to get in the groove when I'm competing with Don and uh, others. But um, uh, I'm not, I want you to understand something. I'm not competing with anybody. I, I know you're not, but but I'm and because of the reason I got to make or others. The reason I got to make that clear is, this is not a battle between me and them. I'm interested in commercial law. And the only thing that's important to me is for people to understand that commercial law has always been there for them, and will always be there for them as long as they want to use it. But if you don't use it, you'll lose it. Right, and I believe the same with common law. Yeah, it's true with all of the good laws. If you just, yeah. if you don't exercise them, they slip away because you've got a generation. Every generation has to relearn it. Okay, and uh, true, and I, I'd like to float uh, with before your scrutiny here uh, a, a couple of propositions that I think I can summarize fairly quickly that I'm inclined to believe are are uh, bringing your insights to an even more powerful level. I don't understand what you're talking about. L- let me explain, please. Um, uh, I, I believe a lot of the things like special master um, um, and proxy and things like that are are um, either watered down or just different names for uh, what essentially amounts to um, what uh, uh, statutes and codes recognize as quote the judicial power. No, 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 wait a minute. Whoa, whoa. I don't understand what you're talking about. I'm yeah. talking about a commercial proxy. Right. Commercial proxy is a person that acts for somebody else that's not able to act for themselves. I'm thinking the judicial power can provide similar empowerment. The, the judicial power, what? The judicial power can provide similar empowerment. Yeah, it does. And a proxy is the method of filing these things is an indifferent, uh, from an indifferent standpoint. In other words, you're not filing a case just in your behalf. You're filing it in behalf of the public. Because of what can happen to all, one can happen to all. And so you're looking out for the common good of the public by by putting your nose in there and trying to get something settled that isn't going to get settled unless somebody puts their nose in there and settles it. Right. So I, I don't interpret the word proxy in terms of the courts at all. I'm treating the, the word uh, proxy in the sense of giving assistance as, as given in Title 18... Title 42, Section 1986, to act with reasonable diligence from the outside, 
not from the inside. Um, and, and maybe I was off track a bit. You're, you're, you're thinking in terms of the complaining party, I think, uh, whereas uh, I, I'm thinking in terms of uh, uh, the decision maker, the adjudicator. I'm not, talking about, I'm not, not talking about the decision maker at all. I'm talking about the person who needs the help. You act as a proxy. You come to his assistance. That's the Brothers Keeper Statute of Federal Law, Title 18, Title 42, Section 1986. Okay, well, couldn't, couldn't the same friend, Brothers Keeper, uh, be exercising the judicial power on behalf of the complaining party? The problem is you're still, when you start talking the judicial thing, you're stepping back into their ball field. You no, no, get, that, that, you with get, all due respect, Hartford, uh, that's... That, that's con you're, 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 you're constraining the judicial power to just the Roman civil realm. We've got a judicial power here. in our law realm. Now listen here a second. Tell me you've got to understand about this, Charles. The courts are nothing without the commercial system. The courts are nothing without the support of the people. They would ultimately die. Without the taxpayer and without false Federal Reserve money, the courts will go down. They are like a child sucking their thumb. They don't have anything to go with. They play the game. They fool everybody. They rip people off. Where there's confusion, there's profit. The more confusion, the more profit. So they talk Latin instead of American. They talk case laws instead of legislation. They pick everything they can to pull you away from the center core of it, which is you're sovereign if you control the money, and that's the basic concept. Every citizen that makes money by their labor should be able to have control over that money as to how it's spent. And the money, if it's collected into taxes, goes into a community fund which has full accounting for the public to see where every penny goes. And if the state wants money to run their state business, they have to beg it off of the people. And if the federal government wants money, they have to beg it off the counties and the people. That's all been turned upside down. It's a total violation of the Tenth Amendment. I think we're in agreement on all that. So, as far as being a proxy, this is an economic or commercial proxy I'm referring to. They paid for services under the Fifth Amendment of the United States of America, and they're entitled to, to compensation for the, service, for the funds that have been taken from them. It's a very simple idea. Right. But, but that's moving as the complaining party, right? Moving as a complaining party to protect the public as a proxy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm talking about um, uh, trying to be uh, a brother's keeper friend exercising the judicial power. To I don't want to have anything to do with the judicial power. It's corrupt. I, I believe there's two forms of judicial power rather than the one that you're presuming. Well, if you're talking about the common law one, that's to find. Yeah, that's what I'm talking that, that That's the mother load right there, I believe, is the common law judicial power, Hartford. Well, that's fine. Let's get it back into motion because it's been taken away. Well, from see, us. Th this is this is the confusing thing, you guys, is that there's a couple different areas of common law. There's the commercial side, and then there's actually the like, you know, common law of England, which is more about the people, you know, kind of thing. It has it has it has little really it, to do with traditional commerce, you know. So I think I think what you yeah. I think what you're missing is this. This is not England, this is not France, this is not Germany. This is the United States of America. We're not lily white. We've got plenty of problems of our own, and charity begins at home. We send our sons over to the other countries to steal their property. We have no business being in foreign countries. We have to keep our kids home 
where they can protect their family homes. We are stretched out in so many different directions thinking about everybody else that we forgot that charity begins at home. And if we're going to do charity with the military and give them our sons to go and waste their lives somewhere, we're in the wrong place. So it's time to start thinking about home instead of trying to think we're Lily White and we can tell the world what's right or wrong. We are not Lily White. This country is so corrupt it's anything but Lily White. And 90% of the corruption or more is in the so-called judicial system. And the sooner you divide yourself away from the judicial system and start doing things by commerce, the sooner they will understand it because they will have to follow the money. And the money comes from the people. It doesn't come from the Federal Reserve Corporation. They print bogus money. They give it to the Congress. And Congress figures out all kinds of ways they can spend it in a circulation. That's money laundering. It's all racketeering. The only real money we have is the money we create with our labor. John F. Kennedy recognized that, and he was having the Red Seal notes reprinted because that's the labor dollar of the de jure United States government. And the Federal Reserve Corporation did not want to do, have any competition to that Red Seal note. They killed him. It's a very simple picture. He was about to spend a bunch of that Red Seal money into circulation by donating it to a foreign country of 12 days before his death. So he was, in, he was engaged in the process of reestablishing the United States note. And the Federation I think we agree on all that, Harper. What? I think we agree on all that. Yeah. So I don't put any... I don't put any I've been 43 years in this system and I've watched what goes on. And I don't see anything in the saving grace of anything in our judicial system right now. Nothing. Right, right. That, that's why I believe we need to invigorate a common law judicial system. That's right. Common law juries. Yeah. And that's just that's a primary move right now, right along with the veterans. And the veterans should be the ones we seek to have greatest amount of help for doing that. They took an oath to get it into motion. Well, that, so, that, that gets to a related point of, of our common law peace officers in our townships. They're, they're town constables. Yeah. The, the, uh, the Oregon statute clearly says that, that nobody has the right to resist arrest from a common law peace officer, um, uh, and that includes judges. I, I think it's really easy to appoint a common law peace officer constable and, and um, uh, go into a courtroom and uh, uh, declare that um, um, our common law peace officer has the authority to arrest a corrupted judge for racketeering. That's fine. Well, it may yeah. come to that. I hope yeah. it does. Well, we've got to be talking about that because they're moving with us. They've got FIBA camps built and, and all kinds of nasty stuff. <laughs> but, it starts, but it starts and, and with And we've got to have a mechanism to Hey, Hartford, can I jump in here? Let me, let me jump in, Charles, if you don't mind, to answer your question on Hartford's behalf. Go ahead. Okay. So there's this, like, delineation in the common law that we need to make. Okay? And that is that there's a couple types of common law. I mentioned it earlier. Here's a case called State versus Quotients. I don't know anything uh, about it. But it, it, even though you don't use case law, there are some times when, you know, it's necessary to for the judicial branch to flex its muscle. And yeah. so this one says the Yeah, they can flex law, their muscles, but if you let it happen in the courtroom, you give the judge permission to be a legislator, and that's trouble. Uh, okay. The common law is generally described 
I, we don't want the judge being a legislature. Yeah, those guys don't need to be creating the law. You're right about that. So, so in in reading this, let me. I'll finish this real quick sentence. The common law is generally described as those principles, usage, and rules of action applicable to the government and security of persons and property which do not rest for their authority on any express and positive declaration of the will of the legislature. Yeah, that's true. Right? That's, that's, so, a, that's a good interesting statement. It's it's a state versus caution, and, you know, I can share that with the, the whole chat if you'd like, but the reason why I brought it out was because it, 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 it proposes the 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 concept that, okay, we're, we're in a multi-jurisdictional scenario. You've got your your common law for federal on one side, you got your state common law, and you got your individual common law. And there's just you, all, yeah. all kinds of things going on. Yeah, but you've got a problem here, and I listened to it for over an hour on this program, just listened because I knew there was no point in me trying to even say anything. And that is basically everybody's talking about writing up this brief and writing up that brief and this brief and that brief and this brief. They talk about motions. There's motions and petitions aren't legal processes. They're parliamentary processes. There's no business of any motions and petitions. If you put a motion in, it's just a proposal, they call it. And a judge just throws a wastebasket. He's not liable for it because there's no liability on a proposal or a motion. That's like a judgment. But when it comes to an order, which is more like a petition, the judge will pass the petition over to the opposing attorney and let him pick up the hot potato. Because if the judge takes action on a petition, he's got to be bonded for it because there's going to be a commercial value in it. See? So he doesn't want the commercial liability against his bond. So the judge isn't going to go forward with the petition. He'll hand it to the opposing attorney. And the Supreme Court's already ruled, yes, under the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, you have the right to peacefully assemble and petition the government for redress of grievances. We accept the concept that the public can present a petition for redress of grievances, but nobody has to honor it. That's a hell of an attitude for the Supreme Court to have. You can submit it, but we won't do anything with it. That's that's a, an immunity, sovereign immunity type attitude. So... It's very much more important that the common man realize that he actually has everything he needs and tools and teach him how to use the tools. Because uh, the courts are not are all into it all for themselves. And when you just, every time you file a document with a court, you're given a consent to beat you. These, those documents don't do you any good because the court's already made up its mind what they're going to do long before you ever put in all that paperwork. And they're not going to let it deviate from that because they hate to mess up their own strategies. Check this out. In, in, in 2004, in Arkansas, in 2014, the appellate court, <clears throat> they found that special master is a judge subject to the Arkansas Code of Judicial Conduct, and the application of that conduct code is mandatory. So, what's your take on that? As a special master, are you subject? You're sub. So, your this case law here is, says that they're subject to the Arkansas Code of Judicial Conduct. Is that right? There is a code of judicial conduct. You can find it in the fourth revised edition of Black's Law Dictionary. The whole thing's there. And the code so of the special, what? So the special master can't just a special master can't just 
They're not a master. The master is nature, and the form of master in nature is called commerce. It has nothing to do with human beings. Commerce is a method of transfer of matter and energy. The common law is the method of applying commerce in a civilized, respectful system whereby nobody gets beat up by it. Because people aren't perfect. They make mistakes. And when it comes to commerce, there has to be grace because people are not perfect. So when you add a little grace to commerce, you have you have the common law and civilization. Without it, you have a nightmare. And that's the nightmare we're in right now because too many of the wrong people have taken control of the machine. It has to come back to where it came from, the people and nature. You know, there's nothing we do that's original. We are all imitators. We, the only thing we live, do is we were born into this world and we imitate nature till we die. <laughs> so, and this legal profession is just an enterprise of fraud to get what they want for themselves and not for what the public needs. They live their life, try to make it as bountiful as they can for themselves and get as nice a lifestyle as they can for themselves to hell with the rest of the community. And when they die, that's that for them, but they've made the best of it for themselves. That's the wrong kind of attitude. That's the criminal mentality. And that's pretty much what controls our courts today. And to be able, the more paper you shove in front of these judges, the more convinced they are that you're sold on what they're doing. The more paper you put in front of them, the more convinced they are that they've got you under hypnosis and you're going to do just exactly what they want, what, what they want you to do. And if they don't, you can pun- they can punish you and you're too stupid to figure out how to, to get back your balance. That's the way they figure it. They have no respect. They wouldn't be doing the things they're doing if they had any respect for the public. You can see it. Yeah. Charles here again. Um, I'd like to quickly jump back to uh, that Norman Conquest of 1066 that we referenced before. Go ahead. Um, uh, In that more pure version of common law prior to that Norman Conquest, um, uh, anybody could call forth a jury a complaining party uh, would instantly begin calling forth juror members from the community, and and uh, once uh, and they were looking for truth. Um, uh, the the complaining party, like you said in your commercial process, would invite the opposing party to also okay, Charles, select jurors. Charles, I want to make this simple. Keep it simple. You go back into history and you go back into the past for the lessons that it offers. A a fool is a person that can't learn by experience. So we go back into our history books to find out how other people solved the problem and made the world worth living. Right? Right? Life worth living. You find the principles, you can collect them into a book like Euclid did on geometry, Euclid's geometry book. And you do the same thing with politics and the things you discover in the past. You read about it, you see what other people have accomplished, where they succeeded, where they failed. But that's where it ends, Charles. This country is not England. This country is not France. This country is not Germany. This is the United States of America. We will gain our information by reading and learning whatever lessons we can. But it's time to quit arguing about the past and start considering the application of the principles here and now. We don't have time to go through thousands of years 
of people's mistakes, except to learn what we can from the mistakes, but to get on with our own life. And we have things in our own civilization right now that have never had a historical beginning anywhere else. Our atomic energy and a whole lot of the technology we're involved in didn't exist in those days. If you took a, a computer back there just two, two or three hundred years and displayed it, they would think you were a witch and they'd burn you at the stake. So you have to understand, we've gone through a lot in the last hundred years. My stepfather was born in 1898, died in the 1993, I think it was. He saw just about every big jump in history in that 100 years. Now, UFOs have been cracking up all over the world because they've been around more since the atomic bombs went off. They've been losing more of their craft on the ground, and when they smash one up, the military runs out and grabs everything they can get, every little smidgen of it, and bring it back to their laboratories to figure out how the UFOs are made so that they can get an edge on some other nation that's also got crashed UFOs. So there's a whole lot of reverse engineering going on, and those little things you carry around with you They've got a television screen on it that you can store a whole movie in the palm of your hand. That is not our technology. That's reverse engineering. So we have another thing to face besides all of this law in the courts. We have to face the fact that we have a military organization that not only has captured craft, they've captured extraterrestrials. They're housing extraterrestrials. They're in diplomatic relationship to them. They won't admit it to anybody in the world because they don't want the other foreign countries that are doing the same thing to know that they, we have it any better or any worse. So we have a multiple war of technology right now. Right. And, 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 we have a absolutely. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, oh, I, oh, no, absolutely. I just wanted to add that. And and to add to that, not just that we have so many things going on besides uh, dealing with the legal system. Uh, from from this book that I wrote, called, uh, not that I wrote, but I reformatted, it's called Writing and Analysis in the Law. Yeah. It says that arguments based on fairness, simplicity, and common sense are often more effective than those based on esoteric complexity. Yeah. And it also has this to say regarding common law, that cases that interpret and apply statutes right, are case law. Okay, and become precedent in that jurisdiction, but they are not common law because the legal rule that is being enforced originates with the legislature. Common law rules originate with the courts, and it would be nice if Hartford could go into how common law rules originate with the courts so we get some background on that real quick you know, with your expertise. You people make it very difficult. Every time I bring up something, you try to make it complicated. I've learned over 43 years it's the worst mistake a person can make. Because a plain and simple rule is do unto others as you would as they do unto you. And you can figure out 99% of all your problems with just that one simple rule. You don't need the rest of this crap. When you reach a, put a document together to fight a case, you only use two, two pages, the front and the back of one sheet of paper. And if you can't deliver your message in that much space, you don't know what you're talking about. The judge will read the front page for its content of what the issues are. He'll turn to the second page to see what some of the points of law are. But he won't pay attention to the second page. 
but he has a higher mind. He has a conscious mind and a higher mind. His conscious mind will read the first page, but when he turns that paper over to the second page where the philosophy is, the higher mind of his mind, his brain, clicks in and takes a mental photograph of it. From that point on, there's a war that's going to go on in the body of that man. His conscious mind is going to take what the conscious mind wants, and the higher mind is going to be scared to death of the mistakes the conscious mind is going to make. You might not understand that philosophy, but if you want to make an effective brief, the first page contains all the issues, the second page all the philosophy. The judge will read the first page and just try to discount the second page, but his higher mind will read the second page and photograph it. They want to kick the shit out of his subconscious, uh, out of his conscious mind because it can't listen to the facts. So you have a house divided against itself, and that's what makes these criminal people defective and ineffective ultimately, because the other half of their mind is against them. Never forget that. If you want an effective brief, the first page contains the issues, and the second page contains the principles. Okay. And you have a house divided against itself immediately because the judge will be at odds with his own higher mind. Wow. wow. That's, that's how you work strategies. I was taught that by my strategist. And uh, I learned some very interesting things. His name was Ronald, Donald Hollenbeck. He taught me how, to, how these people think and how they confuse themselves and how they ruin themselves taught me the principles of stingham and stinkum. So you need to understand that these courts are not something you want to play in. They control the ball field. You want to stay out of the courts. You want to stay away from them. Even if you have to file criminal charges to tell them to get their hands off of you. But you've got to know how to write a brief. To write a really good brief for a court case takes hours. And you've got to, not, to, okay. to write a really good court brief for a court case takes hours of thinking. But you have to get it all on two pages of paper if you really want to sink it in there. That doesn't take you very long to write it after you've got to figure it out. It seems like you like to talk about remedies. You just want to get, with, get in with the remedy, right? That's your stance, right? I'm just trying to cor- make sure that I have a correct impression of you yeah, and your position. You, you want enough knowledge of the problem to be able to perceive the fundamentals of it. Right. And the rest spend of it the rest of it is learning how to take those things you've learned and apply them as a solution to the problem. Because if you get to the place that you're wallowing in the problem, you'll never have the energy to fight the battle. I like to think God has blessed different people with different insights. Yeah. And we all should be able to work together and we should be able to examine our our, our fellows uh, uh, meritorious strategy and incorporate those. Somebody's uh, unknown caller, I'm going to mute you. You've got that noise in the background. Every time you call, I'm there. Um, yes, I, I believe God blesses different legal scholars. The Bible talks about those who study the laws of the Lord day and night, and I believe Hartford's definitely in that category, but there's others 
that also study the laws of the Lord day and night. We're seeking truth and justice in in uh, uh, the light of our our, our spiritual uh, Israelite tradition. Um, uh, and, and both common law. You have a lot of you have a lot of these people that were on this call in the beginning that were talking this stuff, and uh, I have one criticism of all of it. The answers sometimes that are cooked up between human beings that are posturing or not able to think beyond their little world is uh, very dangerous. Yeah, but that that cuts both ways, brother. This it cuts both. Ways. It cuts both ways, but when when people get when it gets it gets down to the point where people are fighting over this way is right, that way is wrong, and they start doing this kind of stuff, and it eats up a lot of argument and people trying to press their ideas. I don't care whether people follow my ideas or not. Not really. I can't because they are them. But I have to know for myself that I've listened to the laws of nature. I've listened to my higher mind. I've listened to the world. I've paid attention. I've gathered to what I think is the best, but it isn't necessarily. Just a second. <coughs> it isn't necessarily the best, but I try to improve it. But uh, it does no good to jump in the middle of a pig pile, if you know what I'm talking about. Everybody's on top of everybody else with ideas. That doesn't solve it either. It's better to just get off to the side and watch. The same with a, with a chess game. You've got a person across the board from you. You know what the pieces are. The bishops work one way. The rooks and the queen and the knights. Everybody has their move. You're across the board. You're involved in the game. Sometimes it's better to just leave the position of the other side of the board and come and sit at the middle of the board from the side and say, hmm, what do we have here? Then you begin to understand how to write those two pages that you have to put in on on your next filing. It only takes two pages to tell a judge he's off-center. And it doesn't come with all of these petitions and motions. And Every time you talk about a motion or petition or this order or that order or this writ or that writ, it has no meaning because most of that stuff is going to be put down by the courts because they don't want it to happen. You people are planning a lot of moves that the courts are just going to shrug off. I think I can take over a courtroom, Hartford. You can't take over a courtroom because they won't let you. That's well, real. No, that's, no, the law is no. on our side here, sir. I'm telling you, that's not reality. That is their game. They're going to do what they're going to do, and if they lose control of you anyway, they'll put you in jail for contempt of court. It's automatic. That's the way they work today. And they'll give you I, I three, and they'll give you three let months me finish, Don. for contempt Let me finish, of court. Don. Um, I, I think um, uh, uh, the the um, the the courtrooms are public courtrooms, and if we have enough people in that courtroom. We can make arguments that that judge is there serving a private interest of the banking cartel, and he's not there in the public interest, and he needs to step down. And he's not the way. You just made a mistake. You just made a mistake there, Charles. You said he's just going to have to step down. Well, that man is not going to step down, and he's got a whole bunch of people to help him over that bench. If somebody tries to make him step down, you're not dealing with reality. Well, I know. Um, I've been there. I've been there. I've seen it. I've been in jail. I've had to write myself out of jail with criminal complaints. Excuse me. Excuse me. I, I got one simple question. Who is the guy that's talking right now? Because you're making a lot of great points. I would just like to know who who you are. Who, me? Yeah, you, please. Hartford Van Dyke. Thank you. 
You're making a lot of great points. You don't want to walk into a courtroom because um, um you're you're walking into banana stand. Yeah. Making a lot of great points. I just came on the call about 20 minutes ago and been listening to what you're saying and. Miss, Mister, my phone number is five zero nine five zero nine seven three eight three zero three nine. Seven three eight. And I'm uh, available from. Hold well, on, you said seven three eight. Seven three eight three zero three nine. No, because I was listening to a call, onto the call. I I just got the information from one of the Skype rooms about the call, and um, you're making a lot of you're making a lot of points to the hidden stuff on the noggin. A lot of people don't understand. You don't want to walk into a courtroom. You want to stay away from courtrooms. That's right. A lot of people think. And I and I keep mentioning this. You gotta think of a courtroom like what I say. It's like a Conan the Barbarian pit. If you see the movie Conan the Barbarian, come on, you're walking into a courtroom. Now, in a courtroom, you got these flabby babbies and these sky rooms that um, um they study uh, a couple of um little information and stuff. And all of a sudden, they want to go into a courtroom. And you go into a courtroom, you're dealing with judges and lawyers that are three, four, five generation judges and lawyers. They were bred for this. Yeah. They're bred for this. That's right. Now, they used to deal in the Conan pits, which is a, is a term that I that I use. The swords and the battle axes and the, the shimitars and stuff, they don't use it anymore, but they're using legal terms. Yeah. Now, me, a coach back, a sofa potato lawyer, or me, you, anybody else, wants to go in there and deal with this? No, you want to nix that at the bud. You want to go in there and deal with these barbarians, but on top of that, you're dealing with Admiralty Maritime Law, even if you don't care about them anytime maritime law but you're going into a courtroom and you you're dealing with you look at a lawyer. I would suggest to somebody that that goes into a law into a courtroom that they have a, a court case, I always suggest do the history on the lawyer. If you got a public defender or even if you got a private lawyer, do the history on them. Mm-hmm also do the history on the state attorney. Yeah. The one that got your bungholes, excuse my French, and, and a vice clip, and do the history on the judge. Yeah. Study on them. Now, you really? want to go in all of a sudden, and you want to walk around with a with a mace and a battle axe, all you're going to do is hit yourself on the head and knock yourself out. Yeah. One person, one put it, put a person I know of put it very simply. He, he, I think it's a standard saying: "Hold your friends close, but hold your enemies closer." Yeah, exactly. Oh no, but um, um, several years ago in um, um, the uh, Superman series, the cartoon series, it was kind of graphic novel. Uh, Lex Luthor said to Superman, he said, "Hold your friends close, but hold your friends." Hold your friends close, but hold your friends. Hold your friends close, 
but hold your enemies closer. That's where it came from. No, 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 no. But listen, listen. He said, hold your friends close, but hold your friends, hold your enemies closer. But with you, I'm going to make an exception. So what did he mean right there when he said, with you, I'm going to make an exception? Did he treat him as a friend, as an enemy? That's some mafia-type stuff. He said, but with you, I'm going to make an exception. So what exception was he doing? Is he going to treat him as a friend or as an enemy? How is he treating him? Because he said, the old saying is, hold your friends close, but hold your your enemies closer. Yeah. But then he said, but with you, I'm going to make an exception. So what was the exception that he was making? He didn't want to get that close. <laughs> No, but you don't know if he was keeping them closer, he's going to keep them separate. This, this is mental stuff, man. Uh, and, means, and courtrooms. Means, hey, you think, the people, want to go, people want to go to courtrooms. What do you no, say, I, what do you, I always say challenge the jurisdiction yeah. of somebody taking you into a, court, into a courtroom. You want to go into a courtroom? <laughs> why, why do you want to do that? You, know, you, don't, you, don't, you don't challenge the jurisdiction. What you do is you figure out how to... Put the jurisdiction under commercial control. Okay. You don't have to challenge the jurisdiction of a judge. His only jurisdiction in reality is his bond. Okay. Without that bond, he can't conduct court without having a huge liability. But he doesn't want to use his bond. So if somebody sues you in court, you file an affidavit against a person. You've got 21 days to do it, usually. You file an affidavit telling him why he shouldn't be suing you. Right, it has to be challenged with when, uh, with any of the twenty-one days or um. In twenty-one days. Some is situations standard. it's like forty-five days, but it's usually. No, the 21. standard the standard method in commercial law is the Jewish commercial is twenty-one days. Right. It's right on the summons forms, but the idea is that it gives you three weeks to do a, a permanent instrument, which you want to do. But when you put it into court before you just before you go in before the court. You go to the, the uh, clerk's office and you give them a notice. We have not yet exhausted our remedies in commerce. That's an affidavit. You put the same affidavit into the judge, carry a copy right to the bench for him. It says we have not yet exhausted our remedies in commerce. They will consult, consult from the bench with the other side and says, this man has made an affidavit that you haven't resolved your, hasn't, haven't uh, exhausted your remedies in commerce. Did you answer his affidavit? And he'll say no. he say, well, in that case, you people go out in the hall. If you can't settle a problem, come back in, and we'll see what we can do about it. The judge is going to say it that way because if you haven't exhausted the remedies in commerce yet, there's a commercial issue for potential, and he doesn't want to be in the middle of that because if he makes an order based on that, his his bond has to cover his judgment, not his judgment, but his his order. A judge can make any judgment he wants to and not have liability, but when he converts it to an order, he's created money. He has to be covered by a commercial instrument. So he'll tell you to go out in the hall and settle your problem. Well, you go out in the hall and the other guy doesn't want to answer the affidavit. You just get yourself away from him. You don't go back in the courtroom because if the, if the other guy goes back in the courtroom, you can take care of that with a criminal process. But if the other guy goes back in the courtroom, the judge will say, well, where's the other guy? You say, well, he took off. You say, well, until you people resolve that, uh, I can't handle that in the court. But if they both come back in, the judge will take it as consent, and it'll become right, that. Right, consent because they're both coming back in. Domestic. Oh, it, be, it becomes domestic, 
if they can, if he sent them out on commercial grounds and they decide to come in and get the judge's opinion, he's now no longer bound by his bond. He's on, he is in a domestic oh, position. Holy. And so he can give any ruling he wants to. Uh, and uh, no, are you in the U.S. and another country? No, this is U.S. Okay. No, that's the way it is. If a judge tells him to go out, it's because he doesn't want his bond to be messed with. It's commercial bond. They all have to have bonds to handle commercial orders. And uh, he'll send them out in the hall and say, if you can't solve it between you, then you come back in. And if you come back in together, you've given him consent to operate on a domestic level, not a commercial level, and he can do anything he wants to, and you've got, he's got no liability. I did not know that little part there. So you always, when you get a, somebody sues you, you always want to make a commercial instrument by affidavit declaring what's wrong with the suit or anything you can think of with regard to it. And you put that in your file. And then just before you go in, you put in a second filing on by affidavit that you've not yet exhausted your remedies in commerce. You serve a copy on the clerk, and you to make sure it's in the hands of the judge, you hand him a copy in the courtroom. And if there's an opposing attorney, you hand one him to also a copy. That way they know beforehand, before anything's said in that court, they know that there's an unexhausted remedy in commerce. Okay. And, that, and that comes in then under Mellorich Builders versus San Bernardino County, California. I don't use case law in any of my writings, but I can tell you where the case law is. That's one of the best. It's Mellorich Builders versus San Bernardino County, California. And Mellorich is M-E-L-O-R-I-C-H, Builders. It's a construction company versus San Bernardino County, California. Their attorneys came in. They hadn't answered the affidavit. The judge says, well, you better go back and answer it because this court process isn't going forward till it is answered. And if you go to that case site, you'll get a list of 20 other case sites, I understand, on the same argument, that if in that 21 days before the suit takes place in the court, an affidavit, commercial affidavit is presented and is expected to be answered by the opposing side, it must be answered or the court case freezes right there. And if they try to go ahead in any way, shape, or form, you file a notice of interest that will block the whole thing for three more weeks. Just like welding the train track, train wheels to the railroad track, it stops the thing instantly. Yeah, so like when you throw us a boat. What? Like when you throw us a boat, where you get, where you get the word sabotage. Why? Where does the word it, it came from like um, uh, 300 years ago in France when they 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 would throw a wooden shoe into the uh, machinery. Yeah, well, like the notice of interest is a break. They would just stop the whole machinery. It would stop everything. Yeah, well, that's a Jewish process. It's been well established by them. It's not common common knowledge. No, no, I was saying about the Sabut. It was in France. Yeah, well, now I understand you're talking about sabotage. Yeah, sabotage. It was a sabot because it was about a, a wooden shoe. They would just throw it in there like you throw a monkey wrench yeah. in the joint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You would just stop the whole machinery down. That, and that process is called a notice of interest. In commerce, it's called a notice of interest. And you won't find it in Black's Law Dictionary because they don't want that to be common knowledge. But if you look up what's called Liz Pendens, you'll find traces of it in the statement on list pendants, but a list pendants lien is one established by a judge to make sure that the proceeds are available at the end of the trial to pay off the obligation. 
That's the Liz Pendens lean. But the lean, the other lean is a direct one against them for failure to perform. But why are all these terms, majority of these terms are on the land? Yeah, well, I don't use very many terms. and My vocabulary in this field is very short because it's not necessary to have a lot of them. You have only two processes. Land is a dead language. Land has been a dead language for since, like, uh, around 200 A.D. Yeah, I know. I don't use Latin generally for anything. Courtrooms, they use a dead language. Why is a dead language? It's used in biology and science because it's dead. It wasn't going to change on them, so they use but, it as, as a stable the, language. The, 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 the definition of a of a live or a dead language, a live language, is language that poetry is still written in. Well. You know, we're going to have a few leftovers to deal with, but uh, basically the common public should be able to understand everything in common language. Um, we're going to have to get off the line here. I see it's 820. We've been on here over four hours, so it's about time to close it down. Uh, if you, you got dude, my phone. You know, you, 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 dude, I came in the middle of your conversation. I really appreciate all the information that you that you gave. I hope to hear from you in the future, man. Well, uh, you got the phone in case you have a question. Okay. Um, do you have a Skype account? What? No, I'm just that's just a straight landline. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm gonna. I I would have called it earlier. I see a little glare on my clock. I see it's twenty after eight already. I've been on since four o'clock, about four twenty. Oh, you're in a whole different time zone. Yeah. I'm, it's eleven twenty. Uh, my my office hours are eleven to five Pacific time. Okay. Uh, what, what was your name again? Because uh, I got to put it um, um, with the, um, with the Hartford, phone number. Hartford Van Dyke. I got you. Uh, Charles, where are we standing? Yes. What's next? Um, well, um, I, I guess we're wrapping up here. If uh, You've got to take your leave here, brother. Okay. We'll talk to um, you later um, then. Thanks for coming on. Those of you that have questions, I hope you got them answered. We'll talk with you later. Yeah, can can is it likely you'll be able to join with us next Friday? If you what? Is it likely you'll be able to join with us again next Friday? I go week by week, and usually I'm available. Okay, well, I'll call and check in with you. Sure. Bye bye. Okay, bye. Good night. Good night. Good information. Good information. I like that. Thank you, Lewis. You. Um, you provided some valuable light there, even though uh, some folks in the background were criticizing your, your input there in the chat window. Um, nah, forget about the monkeys. Okay. <laughs> hey, Charles, how are you? Good. Uh, who's talking, please? Aquila. Aquila. Uh, uh, do you have comments or questions? Oh, no. I'm just saying hello. Yeah, hi. That's all. Okay. Okay, well, don't feel shy if you feel like chiming in. Your pants if they Hold on, excuse me. But this dude that was talking on the phone right now, the, the dude gave some tremendous information, and I just came in the middle of the call. I'm like, man, when is he talking again? I'm like, holy moly, Batman. Yeah, Lewis, you ought to... Um, uh, uh, Send me your email uh, like you tried to do before through Skype, but I can't hook up through Skype, it seems. 
But if you send me oh, your email, I'll... Oh, I can my Skype. Okay, my Skype is Lewis, L-O-U-I-S. Because I sent you a, I sent you a contact request, but um, it didn't, for some reason it didn't go through. My 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 Skype account is L O U I S N Y for like New York, two thousand one. Maybe if uh, you send it that way, it'll go through. Okay, I'll I'll try that here. Um, uh, yeah, because I, I sent you a contact request, and um, for some reason, and you didn't get it. Oh, no. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll try to do that a little bit later, Lewis. Okay, um, no problem. Take your time today. I, I think we need to land on our feet here and and open up uh, the conference to some of the other callers, um, if that's good with you. No, definitely, definitely. All right. Um, uh, the line's open, and and uh, we've only got uh, a few callers since Hartford left here. Some left. Uh, anybody that has comments or questions on their mind. Um, uh, Please go ahead and chime in at this point. If only closed mouths came with closed minded came with closed mouths, that would be good. <laughs> well, the, the, the devil's in the detail of figuring out who's closed minded people. Um, that requires a judgment, and uh, um, no, I, I was frustrated just, that Hartford wasn't picking up on uh, my advocation of of our, our our friends, our brother's keepers, assuming the judicial power for us, and, and thereunder we can compete for control of those public courtrooms. I think those, those are public courtrooms, and we need to take control of them back because they're presently being dominated by criminals. And, and I think we can embarrass those judges off the bench, and I think if we've got enough people in a courtroom, we can take over the courtrooms. Well... I'll say this, you must know what you are doing. And I don't always go after the judge. She's just judging whether this was this, who had it first. I go after the one who's coming after me. So see, only the judge is going to hear, just think of uh, America's Got Items. You know, America's Got Talent. Different ones come and sing. you got Simon Cow, different ones. Always judging, you said you could sing? To me, yeah, you can sing. I think you're ready for Hollywood. So just think as the judge, yes, sometimes he do work with the other side, you know, and because that's their system, how they work running. But I could bring my court to that public building as well, and I would know how to win. So the, the key of the fact is know what you're doing, know who you are. If you know what you who you are, what God made you man or woman, that's the most powerful in this world. That's the highest you can go in this world. First is God and then man and winning. woman, because he put man and woman dominion over the earth. You read your Bible, it's there. So when you know this, is how to use it, how to act like a man, what to say, and that's the key. And once you get that, you'll be doing fine, you know, because I've tried some of this and it worked um, for me. And the judge didn't talk. He didn't do anything when I spoke. So. He didn't hold me to tip. None of that. That's foolish. You can't be doing that stuff. Okay, so I well, say learn who you are. Learn the law. Know what's going on. So when you walk in the court, you know what's going on. You know the game. You know what to be expected. You know what to do. That's all. But we need information. I, I think that we've reached a point where we can't be just playing a defensive game 
and 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 going into court and and uh, 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 just trying to react to the situation that's already composed. I think when we go into court, we need to have our own judicial officer selected because because judicial officers can move into courts and and, and let me finish, please. Oregon statutes clearly say a general principle of common law due process that judges in courts are only authorized to compel obedience to their, quote, lawful orders. That means when they make unlawful orders, they have no authority to compel obedience to those orders. And if we have other judicial officers other than those that derive from the Roman civil de facto state, then our judicial officers can overrule their judicial officers. And I believe that's the essence of the true battle we're involved in. Whoever's interested, go ahead and take the floor. Well, let's say this. Let's say you did got the correct judge in there, they're doing their job, but you don't know what to do. You're still going to lose. Because you can only go by what you say, but the other party say, and that's that's what uh bring make it whole. Because he's just judging, you know. He don't have firsthand knowledge. Even if it was a judge, we you pick one judge. See, I, I trust this guy. He's going to judge all of us. But if you don't do your case correctly, and the other guy does, you still lose. That's why it's still important to know the law, know what you're doing, know how this works. That's what I'm saying. Oh, okay. Well, you might not know. Do you know Judge Zoe Moore? Yeah. Who, who's talking in the background? Somebody t- talking to the conference? Are they muted or unmuted? Uh, Male voice. Um, I'm going to start muting people. Somebody's uh, doing talking uh, in the background. You need lots of people. 
Yeah, that's a key ingredient. Yeah, yeah. All the beautiful law in the world, Hartford's commercial law or common law from Bill Thornton, all of it, uh, when we have the problem of corruption, is, is epidemic in all of our courts. It doesn't matter how, how, how brilliantly insightful your, your legal words are. If you don't have the people there willing to put peer pressure uh, on, on exactly what's going down in that court, then you're going to lose. Yes. Thank you. Yes, you have to have number. You have to have you people. You are going to lose hard rock. If you don't got the numbers backing you up, they're going to lose. Absolutely. That's what we just said. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and so uh, and this plugs into Hartford's thing, but I'm sorry I wasn't able to communicate my ultimate strategy to him, because Hartford has the beauty of the commercial process all there down pat, wrapped into a nice neat package, but um, um, uh, <clears throat> what we need to assemble our number. See, we need to motivate new people that are that are kind of tuning into the conference or in casual passing uh, that that we've got economic resources at our fingertips. I think Hartford said that he had like $600 billion or something at his fingertips or something like that. We need, and that can be used to discharge debts of common people. And, and we could create accounts and stuff on the Internet, and we could give uh, new recruits a million dollars. Uh, uh, and put it in an account on the Internet with, with a password uh, because Hartford has assigned it to them. And, and at that point, they can start paying off bills. They can, pay, they can pay their mortgage off to the bankers and stuff like that, and that frees up economic resources for them. And, and they can pick and choose which one they want to do. If they don't want to tackle the banking issue or anything else, they don't have to. But the point is we've got legitimate economic resources at our fingertips, and we should be di distributing those economic resources to people that, that are willing to throw in with us as a motivating force, as an incentive to, to, to build our numbers so that we can start responsibly self-governing in our own common law jural society communities. I do believe there's immense power at our fingertips. Okay, I got, I got a question. I'm not going to type this right now. I'm, I'm just going to talk it into the phone. Uh, guest 43 is typing something about that um, his language is Sanskrit. He's saying that he's racist. So I want to know what the guy's talking about. Well, I got no idea. He's a guest. He don't identify himself. And he left the chat no, But, he, but he's ended. listening on, on the call. I, I just want to throw that out there. I'm sorry. Okay, okay. Well, no, that's it. No, because but, I have a couple other questions on what you're talking about, but I'm looking at um on this at the screen. No, okay. I want to throw that out. Okay, Lewis. Well, um, um, if, if nobody else has any other questions, maybe we can get into what other your other questions are. Unity is the big thing. Yeah, and that needs to be built on consensus um, uh, because you can't coerce people into unity. you you, you got to get them to agree and see why it's in their best interest to agree.
Does that make sense, anybody? I got information on this call this night. A lot of information. Well, Hartford was saying earlier about um, two people in agreement have the power of four, and and uh, ten people in agreement have the power of a hundred because they multiply each other every time they achieve a consensus and an agreement. You probably didn't hear that, Lewis. That was earlier in the no, discussion. No, I n- no, I didn't hear that back then. I was on the call then. Okay. Well, well, he said that, and and that denotes the importance of our building consensus at our community level. And that gets to the point of of, of the primary issue before uh, each of us should be who are the qualified electors. And the first uh, uh, thought on each of our minds should be, well, I think I'm a qualified elector. But see, we've got a common law rule that says a man's not a judge in his own case. So each of us has to find somebody else who recognizes us as a qualified elector, and we have to go out there, and we have to recognize other people as qualified electors so we can all build the community. You know, our entire present de facto system is all based on Roman civil law, which is, instead of qualified electors, what they categorize is, quote, registered voters, unquote. They've, they've got, and that's their 14th Amendment slavery jurisdiction. That's not the real people power that is mentioned in, uh, I believe, Article 1 of the U.S. Constitution, the electors that have authority to elect the President of the United States. Are you all aware of the importance of... of, of Organizing our communities as electors. The U.S. Constitution to me means nothing. I, I agree it's defective. It, it, it combines Roman civil law with... No, but I'll, I'll tell you specifically why. In 1914, came across for two weeks the United States Congress, a debate on whether Italians were white, and if they were not white, do that they have the right to vote, etc., be treated as white, because the Constitution says that if you're white and you're a free man, etc., then went across for two weeks. The reason was that I'm... Uh, a lot of Italian-Americans were complaining because, like, uh, a lot of Southern Italians, they're, uh, quote-unquote, darkies. They're, like, part Arabs, and, and a lot of them are part um, descent of um, North Africans, etc. Yes. came across a whole debate about whether Italians were white. Oh, no, but then in 1922... Yes. Yes. I, I think going down that rabbit hole with all of the stupidity in the U.S. Constitution document. Yes, I, 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 but then in I, 1922, kind of the Irish had the same fight because the Irish were not considered as white, so they had no rights in this country. I don't. So think what I'm that's saying true. is that all these documents are a bunch of hoopla. It's not we all have to documents. deal with each other. 
you know, all these boxes. I agree on that, Lewis. Um, can, can, can we try to keep the conversation at a higher level of, of, of legal insights instead of just what's wrong? No problem. I was just saying that um, um these these are legal issues. They happen in courts in the United States. And That's why we're supposed to have intelligent conversations both in courts and in these phone conferences. Hey, but, Lewis. Okay, no problem. Thank I'm you. Just thought I put that out there. Sorry. Well, appreciate it. Let's Sorry. move on, brother. Um, I like what you yeah. said, Charles, and, and about the Charles societies. And I need to, I, I, I feel kind of intimidated. Hartford's my senior by about 15 years or something here. And um, 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 and, and so I have trouble interrupting him. Um, uh, and, and I'm sensitive because he's bringing a big crowd. He does have precious insights, no doubt. Um, but he also is, is focusing on the veterans. And I've got a lot of respect for the veterans, and I don't want to bring them down or anything. Uh, they've been they've been abused, and I'm sympathetic towards that. But I don't think they've got any more rights or lawful power under real law than any of the rest of us. Um, and and further, what Hartford was focusing on there as as kind of an executive enforcement arm to help uh, 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 get justice out of uh, the the courtrooms that are being dominated by the Roman civil jurisdiction, um, um, that executive power doesn't need to be centralized in veterans like Hartford and the Four Corners Group are advocating. That um, executive power is evenly distributed under all the precincts and under all the townships of every single county in the USA. We've all got the natural right, the the, the inherent power uh, of 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 the executive officers, as long as we're not the complaining party. See, the executive and the judicial officers that are the friends of the complaining party can move into the court with them. And at that point, when a complaining party has uh, judicial officers and executive officers from his own private township and precinct level jurisdiction moving in to a county circuit or superior court with a judge of limited jurisdiction, they're only providing provisional uh, judicial process. Our judges are, are more powerful than those Roman civil law judges that are presently exercising control over our lives. We do have the authority to take the courts back. And I believe that's where it's going. And if this economy collapses, that's exactly what we'll need. People will be rioting in the streets. And we need to gear for stuff like that. And all these people that think that they can just throw paperwork back and forth without organizing our common people, I'm sorry. They're, they're on the wrong page. They're behind the curve. Yep. Thank you, Liz. Completely correct. Well, there's just you, me, Don, Rick, and uh, uh, Indiana. Uh, Marvin. 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 You haven't said much lately. You feel like chiming in on any of this? No, I'm just listening. I'm trying to learn. Uh, I disagree with a couple of points that you have said for the past several months, but mostly you're right on a noggin in my opinion. Thank you, Lewis. Mm -hmm. No, I'm, I'm, 
we have the right to disagree, you know? You know, I do my research, and um, I see you, you've been doing your research, and hey, we're coming at stuff from different angles. We're all trying to come across a fix to this nut job stuff, but we're doing it from different angles, so it's like, it's like if you're looking at a you're looking at a house, right? You're looking at a house. Now, you got one guy that's looking at the house and he's standing right in front of the wall. And he's looking at the wall. Now, you got another guy on the other side of the house and he's looking at that side of the wall. They don't know each other. They don't see each other. They don't even know each other's dimensions. The one guy looking at the one wall doesn't see the dimension of the other wall. So, they develop these different philosophies and these different religions. But if you're in a helicopter and you're panning up like uh, three, four thousand, five thousand 5,000 feet up, you can see the whole house. But the guys in front of the houses, in front of the house, they can't, they can't see each other. So, they don't recognize each other. If you see what I mean. Sure. sure. But I, I think it's kind of self-evident. Um, um, we are getting like 15 minutes away from when the call will likely shut down here, Lewis. Right. Um, uh, yeah, if Rick or anybody has any comments that are... Um, Talking yeah, about I, how to empower our people, cutting edge type stuff, like like our town constables and our precinct level judicial justice of the peace officers. This is where our real horsepower I, is at, I believe. And um, I, I wanted to make those points with Hartford, but it seems like um, uh, I failed to achieve that goal. Um, so I'll just keep kind of plugging away when I can do so. Um, I did. Uh, I got one, Charles, from uh, last night on Angela's show. I had texted you there in the chat. Uh, once an attorney or a lawyer, you know, they file complaints, and then they get their judgment on that. Can I come back as a man and make a claim? And you said yes, that, you know, that's possible. Or I believe that's what you had said. Okay, well, that, that does sound... Uh, similar to the Carl Lentz and Bill Thornton material, where you're 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 putting in uh, paperwork to revoke their paperwork, right? Uh, I guess, man. I'm, I'm I guess. <laughs> I just know that you know I'm starting to study these different codes and UCC laws, and uh, from my understanding is is that before anybody can take you to court as part of the corporation, they have to notify the Department of the State, and the Department of the State has to notify the Federal District Court and get permission from the Federal District Court to give the uh, State Department go ahead to take you to court. I don't know about all that. But my main t- question was, yeah, I mean, if an attorney bringing a complaint, uh, a claim trumps a complaint. And this has happened six years ago, you know. Uh, 
Well, I, I don't able... buy into Carl's uh, 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 distinction between complaint and claim. Uh, I, to my mind, the words are more organic than that, and they can be used as equivalents. Uh, Carl makes a big distinction between the two, and it sounds like you're doing the same. Yeah, I'm just trying to learn. I'm just trying to well, learn. To my mind, it's more important to be watching the big distinction between Roman civil law, which is um, uh, of limited jurisdiction, and Anglo-American common law, which is of general and public jurisdiction. And Hartford's commercial law is also on that public side, um, um, as he articulates it anyway. Yeah, I just signed on there, you know, got on the call when uh, Mr. Hartford there, he was talking about the four different courts. And I believe I heard that someone had said through some of these talk shows that all courts are probate courts. So with Mr. Hartford bringing the uh, saying that there's four courts, basically he was saying that they're probate courts. Uh, sounds right, kind of. Well, I'm not too sure about uh, I, I'm not sure. I didn't hear him mention probate court. Um, I don't no, know. He, no, he didn't. I've heard this on other talk shows that all courts are probate courts. And then Mr. Harper, he broke that down that uh, there's only four courts. So my, I am presumption that he a probate court is them four courts all wrapped up in one. Uh, I, I could, I could be wrong. Yeah, probate court is for like uh, you know bankruptcy, incompetent, administering of estates, and things like that. It's not for equity, but I mean it is a common law remedy, you know, to take it and have something administered by an agent. Was that a question, Don? No, actually, uh, my question for you would be something different. No, go ahead. Yeah, I'm just there was something that I had just now thought of that I wanted to say earlier to Mr. Hartford, but go yeah, ahead. go ahead. No, that was my question. My other question. Okay. Well, yeah, go like, ahead. I don't know. I mean, just like I, I feel Charles and what he was talking about regarding getting an, organizing a group. I mean, you know, of like-minded individuals. I think it's important, Charles, too, if I can have a quick discussion with you about this, uh, to um, incorporate the, this, idea, this idea, this constitutional principle of peers into the, to this fold and into the picture. So this way, when you organize the group, membership in the group is going to equal peerhood or peerhood status. You, know? you will now have a group of peers that you can rely on to be, you know, um, I, I suppose in your, you know, peer group. But I think that quantum grammar, and I only say that as a generic term, because really the argument that I'm referencing is the syntax argument, okay? So, so, so point too much, yeah. Don. Well, I know, but you were saying a second ago that no one's saying anything new, right, to actually bring remedy, right? Uh, I don't but, know if I use those words. Something like that. And it's like you're like, the point is that if you focus on how 
contract law can become the rule of court, right? I don't like contract law. So do you know that contract law can become the rule of court, though? So if you contract in... Yeah, but at that point, you're talking about a black hole that it's much more productive to talk about how real law works as opposed to whatever we agree to through contract. Contract is commerce, and that's what Hartford was talking about earlier. Right. Hartford was tapping into pre-existing commerce, not... Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.